And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. for uh, a better audio ear set there. My goodness. Thank you so much. Eric, Eric the tech, he's the guy. Last night I had some problems with uh, with my ear set. Now it, it, I can hear myself. I could hear uh, I could hear you breathing out there. I want to welcome everyone into our show tonight. Thank you so much for your belief and your trust in us as we walk through this minefield of current events together. This is the Hagman Hagman Report, broadcasting right here on Global Star Radio Network. Thank you so much, Global Star, for having us. Also, Blog Talk Radio, the fine folks there at BTR, great people there at Blog Talk Radio, as well as YouTube Live. Again, thank you so much for uh, tuning in. You know, we had uh, uh, quite a show yesterday concerning, uh, well, it was a multi-segmented show, and uh, one of the issues yesterday was, of course, the... Uh, a big issue was, of course, the uh, the roundtable we had with Craig Sawyer, Liz Crokin, and the honeybee, Melissa Zachariah, or Zachariah, depending on which part of the country you want to be from. And the, uh, got, got a huge response from it. Now, the program has been segmented, and I just have to fill in some things. Um, it's been segmented on YouTube. It's not, the segments are not available to the public yet, but they will be before midnight Eastern time tonight. And if you want to link to those segments, uh, perfect. The uh, issue with the shooting yesterday, the Virginia shooting, Liz Crokin, I do, I do want to mention this because to me, this, it sounded preposterous initially. And I wonder how many people felt the same way that the Virginia shooting could have its uh, roots or there could be some uh, connections to sex trafficking. It sounded preposterous to me because it, very clear-cut, you know, you look at it and you think very clear-cut with respect to the target, the motive, the man, the um, craziness behind what's taking place, the lack of civility that we see the Kathy Griffin uh, situation where she is holding up a decapitated uh, Donald Trump head or you know the facsimile thereof when you have um, hatred excused as comedy and hatred excused as art It to me, it, it's it's a very sad state. It, it, it says a lot of things about the uh, the world in which we live. I, I truly believe that the left, the progressive, Joe, uh, come on in. You know, let's talk about this because I truly believe that the progressives out there are behind. Are responsible. They've got blood on their hands, and I, I'm going to 
Yeah, well, here, I'm going to just say one thing, okay? Uh, and I was thinking about this, and I, I purposely didn't talk to you about this before the show because I wanted to get, gauge your reaction. Who benefits from this shooting yesterday? Well, it, it depends on... Um, I, I wouldn't say that the left benefits. I wouldn't... Uh, I don't know who benefits. I don't think anybody really <laughs> benefits unless there was a specific message being sent. But even that, I, I don't I don't see. I saw an interesting article on Drudge today where they called it an act of God that the shooter's aim was off. Well, and I think there's something yeah. to that. I, I I truly believe. I mean, if you listen to the the uh, the, the audio track from the number of shots oh, that yeah. were fired, and and it is really the hand of God. And I know people will say, well, he was just a bad shot, or you know, it, it's not easy to hit a moving target. I I understand that, but even with with without without regard to that, the amount of shots, the amount of time yes. that he was there, the layout of the field. Um, the type of gun that he had, and yeah, you know, yeah. one of the the other things that many lawmakers were saying was because the Capitol Police were there, the security detail was yes. there, and it was only there because Scalise was there. Correct. And if those people weren't there, I think Rand Paul was the one who said it. If the Capitol Police were not there, that it would, it would have, have been, been a massacre. Yeah. But you know, you're right about the well. The left and the you have a, a few you have two different sides here. You have the the comedic art side, you know the Hollywood the the music videos that kind of um, right visual you know with the, with the depicting Donald Trump being shot in music videos and Madonna saying to burn the White House down and Kathy Griffin Griffin with her Trump head all that does play into it. But then you have the other side of this and a good example we have a, a article on HagmanReport.com. It's from the Daily Caller. Huffington Post pulled a piece calling for the execution of President Donald Trump, published Saturday by contributor Jason Fuller. Yes, I saw that. Fuller calls for the ultimate punishment, not only for the president, but for everyone assisting in his agenda by saying, you all must face justice, be tried, convicted, and executed for treason. It is all, It is also the people in the institution of, of the Democratic Party, uh, both in the media and just in the political realm, who are uh, the ones, you know, inciting this through, with through rhetoric? And it's not just the the, the you know people who have uh, the fringe people in the Democratic Party and and you know the far left websites. It is actual members of the Democratic political party, and that's where it gets really concerning. Right, correct. But I but. but to, to answer my question earlier and, and to kind of hone in on the point I, I was I really want to make is to to answer that question who benefits from this definitely not Bernie Sanders supporters Mm-mm. all right given the fact that that this Hodgkinson was a rabid Bernie Sanders supporter and, and the blowback the collateral damage to to to, um, to Sanders that the, this could do now when you look at that, and you consider perhaps there is a link, and and I, I don't know this to be factual, but I think if you look deep into the background of this shooter, you're going to see some connections to unions. Oh yeah, specifically SEIU. All There's right. a few. Uh, right. Well, well, hold on a second. But but to, again, to answer who who benefits, I truly believe it's 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 Hillary, Rodham Clinton, Obama. It's that cabal of people who benefit from this 
the most? Well, when you look at the, uh, the, they are the part of the deep state, if you will. They were the leadership of the last administration. They have no future power to gain in America. And they have been calling for the disruption, for uh, the chaos. And this is exactly, Loretta Lynch, those type of people. That's That's exactly what they got. Well, but it also could backfire. We could see, yes, people, um, you know, doing what the president urged, uniting or at least toning down the rhetoric to a degree that brings it back at least to a civil conversation. And hopefully that's the way it goes. But I doubt that's the way it goes due to a few responses we've seen from politicians and from the media. I mean, Trump yesterday or today by Mika Brzezinski was blamed his rhetoric. Mika Brzezinski blamed Donald Trump's rhetoric for the shooting yesterday. Yeah, as well as and, and a few other Sarah Palin being blamed. And mm-hmm. yeah, uh, uh, all right, and, and really the blame lies in the in the in the, the blame lies with the shooter. Oh, yeah, uh, ultimately, uh, ultimately, right. The he was, environment. Uh, he, I mean, he was he was having real difficulties in his life. Uh, living in a van, he had a violent history, um, assaulting not only his daughter but punching a, a family friend in the face during that during that altercation. Uh, fired off a shotgun in anger, from what the police report says, uh, on a, in a different instance. So he did have problems. I think the instability, along with his violent history and the violent tendencies that he had, along with you know some of this political rhetoric and. and uh, that we that we've seen, I think that was the the storm that that made this happen. But yes, his actions are his own responsibility, uh, first well, and foremost, obviously. C- correct, and, and and but but you you mentioned the environment, and the environment, of course, consists of uh, what Breitbart listed. Kathy Griffin, of course, beheads uh, Donald Trump in a graphic photo. Madonna, as you mentioned, Joe, about I've thought a lot about blowing up the White House. Snoop Dogg shoots Trump in the head. Music video. Mm-hmm. Don't forget Robert De Niro, of course. Um, I'd like to punch him in the face. Uh, suggestive, of course, of uh, you know violence. The Shakespearean video or uh, play in the park, where clearly you'd have to be a moron not to, not to get the reference to Donald uh, Trump and his wife. Uh, the rapper YG threatens. Um, Trump, Marilyn Manson kills Trump in music video, um, and, and then of course the intimidation and violence, other factors of that. But, but you can see where this is okay, according to the progressive leftist communist Democrats, um, and I, I won't even call them Democrats; they're progressive communists. And, and, and this is a marriage, by the way. We're, we're going to be having um, Bill Warner on later in the show. This is a marriage between the communists and the, and the Muslims. And Islam has been weaponized by the communists in government, and they're being used as, as operatives within the government uh, to, to, to take down our government. But we're talking about not just killing the president, what's taking place here. We're talking about killing the presidency. In our view, in my view, this is what is the objective of these these animals, these psychopaths that are the powers that are known as the shadow government and deep state. And it was interesting because before this happened, I appeared on uh, the Intelligence Hour with Kevin Shipp. And I will uh, send this 
I'll put, I'll, in fact, I'll put this, uh, I'll link this on, uh, one of the websites or even tweet this out on my personal account. But we talked about the environment. We talked about the, what's taking place. But can you imagine this taking place during the Obama reign? Oh, no way. All right. No way. It, okay. Uh, and a, a couple of things. I don't want to get lost in the shooting. Uh, Loretta Lynch, James Comey, um, Rothstein. They all should be arrested in my view. We, we have to talk about that because what, what's, what's not being talked about is ultimately what, and, and what uh, Mueller is doing, uh, as a, as a independent counsel, special counsel. Uh, yeah, all of this. You're talking about the practical killing of a president and then, uh, Mueller through the special counsel talking about killing the presidency delegitimizing President Donald Trump and bringing this nation, I believe, uh, to, to a further, to further advance a raging civil war in this country. Michael Savage, uh, his book and even a WND article recently had, uh, I guess it was yesterday. Yeah. Had mentioned about that and I, I sent that out, uh, via Twitter, but, but it's really important that we, we keep our eyes on this. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah. Let's talk about a, a little bit about Mueller. Robert Mueller in this obstruct, alleged obstruction of justice probe, from what I can tell, it still hasn't been verified outside of anonymous sources from the Washington Post. And the Washington Post is right up there with, with CNN, uh, when you talk about fake news anymore. So much of their, their content is driven by political ideology instead of facts and Specifically during this presidency, um, you know, one thing that Donald Trump has done by becoming the president and having this hatred against them is he has been able to expose the enemy. His his position in the White House as president has let the enemies of of America of the Constitution expose themselves. And what I mean by that is we see. It'd be one thing if these newspaper reports and these media reports were about the truth. It'd be one thing if they were reporting facts, even in, with a biased slant on it. That's one thing. But when you are making up accusations and news to further a uh, political agenda that involves some kind of coup against the president, there's a huge problem. And this is exactly what the Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, and others are doing. This whole Russia investigation... And the narrative is just a completely uh, fabricated narrative in order to, as you say, delegitimize the president, to delegitimize the presidency, Donald Trump, and specifically his agenda. And this has been ongoing since before his inauguration. During the campaign, we've seen all the lies. Um, you know, when we talk about the congressional shooting, the shooting that happened yesterday, so a lot of the media responses that were... Uh, talking about who is to blame, whether it was the left-wing rhetoric or if it was something else, uh, went on to talk about how Trump's rhetoric has played a part in this violence. But I can't... What has he said that is promoting violence, is calling for violence or hatred of any kind? I can't find it. So, I'm saying the the media, there's a number of media outlets and, and individual media personalities who have been saying that Trump's rhetoric played a part in the violence that happened yesterday, saying that he was oh, hateful, yeah. his hateful yeah. remarks, his, his remarks, remarks of violence. 
but I can't. They don't ever list any examples of no, I don't, I don't uh, believe what Trump. Any. What they say Trump is guilty of now with Mueller. This is a, a, a very close friend of James Comey. I guess we can get this out of the way first. And, and, the conflict Joe, of interest. That, the, that's right. The, the friendship, and, and the special counsel statute, and people have to understand, the independent counsel and the special prosecutor, the special prosecutor statute ended in 79, I believe it was, or 99. I have the statute here. Okay, so. but, okay the special counsel statute that, that, um, that, that applies to Mueller um, does would would disqualify him. Yeah. Okay, Qualifications of the special counsel, Part B. Uh, this is what we're going to focus on when we're talking about conflicts of interest. The attorney general shall consult with the assistant attorney general for administration to ensure an appropriate method of appointment and to ensure that a special counsel undergoes an appropriate background investigation and a detailed review of ethics and conflicts of interest issues. The special counsel shall be appointed as a confidential employee as defined under 5 U.S.C. 7511. We know Comey is, uh, since this investigation is not centered around Russia or, or is not centered around Trump, Trump was never under investigation, according to Comey, we now see that they are focusing on obstruction of justice, according to the fake news sources from the Washington Post, the unnamed fake news sources from the Washington Post. So I don't know, and maybe you have a better idea, Dad, about the, uh, can a special counsel investigate somebody without any evidence of a crime? Doesn't there have to be a, a evidence of a crime or su- at least something that the special counsel says, here, you're investigating, um, you know, espionage, or can they just appoint a special investigator to find a crime that may have been committed, or do they need a reason to appoint the special investigator? That's my question. All right. The and, and that's a great question. Can they go on a fishing expedition? Right. Okay. They can. Okay. They're, they've got a wide berth, and I, I just want to quote some some something here. I've been taking notes and, and doing some research on this. The independent counsel law was obviously inspired. The at least the latest iteration uh, it was inspired in part by Watergate. Now, in 1978, Congress passed the Ethics and Government Act, which among other things, what that did was establish formal rules for the appointment of a special prosecutor. Now, notice some people will use the, the um, special prosecutor, independent prosecutor, special counsel, independent counsel, interchangeably. Um, some legal scholars say it's okay to do that. I think Judge Napolitano, um, has, I believe um, he has... Take an issue with that, uh, but when when you look into that, when you look into this, the special prosecutor provisions in the bill were temporary, but were reauthorized by Congress now in 1983 and 1987, expiring in 1992. Then they were reinstated for another five years in 1994 before expiring in 1999. Now, there's a reason I'm bringing all this up. The appointment of a special prosecutor, or special prosecutors, plural, under the Ethics in Government Act varied in important ways from appointments made before and since. Okay? There's, there's different, and people need to pay attention to the different iterations of this special prosecutor, special counsel. Most 
most notably, although the decision to appoint a special prosecutor was still made by the Attorney General, and that's who makes that, that decision. And the Deputy Attorney General in this case, because or uh, the Sessions had recused himself from... Correct. So, yeah, and, and that's a good point to bring up, because... Sessions should have never recused himself in the first place. Exactly. And this is where, this is where the story exists, because this is the deep state. Mm-hmm. This is the deep state. Okay, so the um, decision to appoint a special prosecutor, for example, and again, we don't have a special prosecutor. That's not what we've got. We've got a special counsel. Um, but, but it's still made by the Attorney General. The actual selection of the special prosecutor was uh, previously made by a three-judge panel. Now, um, roughly 20 special prosecutors. Now, this is according, now this part's according to Wikipedia. Uh, roughly 20 special prosecutors called independent counsels after 1983, because there were some changes in, in the verbiage to the, the law, were appointed under this Ethics and Government Act and its reauthorizations during Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, George Bush and Bill Clinton administrations. And these include significant investigations. Remember the Iran-Contra affair and then the Watergate controversy, the latter which led to the impeachment of Bill Clinton. And you will hear the progressives talk about, well, Bill uh, Clinton was impeached for sex. No, he was not impeached for having sex in the Oval Office, although he did. And when you read the transcripts, and we, we have the actual, where the copies of the actual transcripts from the, uh, hearings. Uh, they're graphic. Believe me, they are graphic. And, and I'm, I'm sure they're available online. But nonetheless, he was impeached for lying under oath. Okay, but, mm-hmm. okay, so, anyway, from 1992 to 94, the independent council provisions were not in force. Reno appointed Fisk, um, a special counsel to investigate Whitewater. When the law then was reauthorized in 1994, Reno invoked uh, it to order an independent counsel to be appointed to investigate Whitewater and suggested Fisk continue that role. Instead, remember, this is when Ken Starr was given the job by the three-judge panel. Starr resigned and was replaced by Robert Ray. Remember that revolving door of independent or special uh, counsel back in 1999? just before the, the statute expired. Ray formally concluded the Whitewater investigation in 2003. And I wonder how many people know that was still going on in 2001, 2002, and 2003. But anyway, so the thing is, this, and, and I think it's important that, that uh, in fact, I might even do a report on this, uh, that we understand the provisions of this law because it goes back to simply what you said. I, I guess we could just put a period after this, what you said. Mueller is not... If if Jeff Sessions mm-hmm. recuse himself, then Mueller must resign. Absolutely. He must resign. Or be fired. I think I think Trump should fire him. Who cares what, the, what it looks like at this point? Um, when we look at... I mean, what is Mueller investigating? Uh, apparently, it's the... According to the Washington Post, it's obstruction of justice. Who's the star witness of that claim? And where is the evidence that there was obstruction of justice? Directly from James Comey in James Comey's uh, leaked memo that he leaked to the to the press, the information he leaked to the press. 
So a star witness is not only one of his best friends or great friends for 15-plus years, it's also somebody who leaked confidential information to the press illegally. And this whole thing started around an investigation into Russia, Russia's ties into the election interference. And part of that was the DNC's emails that were uh, allegedly hacked by or, or released by WikiLeaks that they say Russia hacked. Well, the only ev- evidence that Russia interfered uh, in with the DNC, uh, if there is any, will never be found out because DNC never turned the computers over to the FBI. So who got the DNC computers and reported that it was Russia? Was it, it CrowdSource or CrowdStrike? It, it, yeah, CrowdStrike. It was an independent... <laughs> it, and this is important for people to understand. The FBI never, ever right. was able to forensically analyze. This came from a private company that was hired by the DNC. Right. So they only... The, the FBI only relied on this third party uh, for what was on the DNC servers. And, and if I can just interject one thing, the Awan brothers uh, and, and the Islamic penetration into the IT informational technologies department within the State Department plays a big role in this as uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the multiple attorneys, federal pro- uh, prosecutors in Florida and D.C., all of this connects. Go ahead. I, I, I no, no, that's fine. But so, I mean, you. Ha- what bothers me is that the, they continue to say that Trump is under invest- under investigation with the uh, Russia election hacking collusion, whatever the the word of the day is today. And there is absolutely no evidence, or hasn't been any evidence for the last six to eight months. So now, because there's no evidence, and, and basically the Russia thing was thrown under the bus after Comey's testimony. Mueller is allegedly going after Trump for obstruction of justice because of his interaction with Comey, <laughs> Comey, the discredited FBI director. So they are, it is a fishing expedition and anything else that they can try to dig up. And it is, uh, it's a witch hunt, as Trump said. And real quick, let me, uh, let's read Trump's tweet from today. I know we're in the, on our way out here, but Trump called it a witch hunt. They made up a phony collusion with the Russian story, found zero proof. So now they go for obstruction of justice on the phony story. Nice. You are witnessing the single greatest witch hunt in American political history, led by some very bad and conflicted people. Why is it that Hillary Clinton's family and the Democratic dealings with Russia are not looked at, but my non-dealings are? Those are the tweets from Donald Trump today. We are up against our network break. When we come back, Andrew Kerr will be with us. Don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. 
Kirkus Review states, readers of end times fiction will be hard pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Edition of the Hagman and the Hagman Report. With us on our newsmaker line is Andrew Kerr. He is the man behind thecitizensaudit.com. That's thecitizensaudit.com. The um, he's an investigative journalist and and an investigator. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you something. His investigative work product is fantastic. In the crosshairs of his work is David Brock. Specifically, David Brock and American Bridge, 21st Century. Uh, that is Brock's uh, super PAC. Now, David Brock is an American political operative. He's an author and commentator who found the progressive watchdog, media watchdog group, Media Matters for America. He's been described by Time Magazine as one of the most influential operatives in the Democratic in other words, Communist Party. Brock began his career as a right-wing investigative reporter back in the 90s. Uh, he wrote the book The Real Anita Hill and uh, the um, Brigade story, which led to Paula Jones filing a lawsuit against Bill Clinton. In the late 90s, he swapped sides. He decided he didn't like the truth that much, in my view. He aligned them, then aligned himself with the progressive left, the communist left. 
and specifically got really, really uptight and cozy, uh, cozy with uh, Hillary and Bill Clinton. And, of course, you know David Brock as being the former lover, if you will, um, allegedly, of uh, James Alephantis. And in 2004, he, uh, Brock founded Media Matters for America, a nonprofit, which describes itself as a progressive research and information center dedicated to comprehensively monitoring, analyzing, and correcting conservative misinformation in the media. He's uh, also founded a super PAC called American Bridge 21st Century, and correct the record. You know that, right, folks? And has become a board member of the PAC Priorities USA Action, and has been elected chairman for this, uh, for crew, the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. With us now is is uh, Andrew Kerr again, the the head of the CitizensAudit.com, a contributor to the Hagman Report, a guest freaking guest on the Hagman Report, and in my view, a guy that really has done a great job investigating a very complex subject that relates to Brock and American British 21st Century. Andrew Kerr, thanks for joining us, sir. Thanks for having me back on, Doug. It's our pleasure. What if you, where do you want to start? Um, let's get right into it. Yeah, um, so thanks for uh, providing a background there. Um, uh, Media Matters for America, um, I believe, is, um, I mean, in better words, a, a cancer on our uh, political discourse. Um, I think they've poisoned it. Um, when you say they correct uh, what they consider to be conservative misinformation, uh, really what they specialize in, from what I've been able to see, is silencing views that they don't agree with. Um, they were a driving force behind the uh, media boycott of uh, former Fox News host Bill O'Reilly. Yep. Um, they followed up that performance by trying to take out Sean Hannity with another advertiser boycott. Uh, Sean Hannity fought back. Um, I don't think he's been too damaged by it, um, but he met them head on. But if you look at Media Matters' website, all the time it's, here's a voice that we don't like in the media, and we need to kick them off. Um, they they threw a fit when an InfoWars reporter was granted a, a press conference, or <laughs> press access to the uh, to the White House. Yeah. Um, they thrown a fit over MSNBC trying to diver- diversify their viewpoints and bring on conservative uh, personalities. They say, no, that's unacceptable. Instead of engaging their ideas with the rights ideas, they seek to silence. And that's gone on long enough. I think that now we have a country where we engage politically. Uh, well, well, we really don't talk to the other side. Um, there's so much hate, and I think you just need to look at what happened yesterday at that baseball park. What happens when we can't have conversations across the aisle? When it's being branded as not only you have the wrong idea, but you have a dangerous idea, then bad things happen. I think the media matters has been a driving force behind that. And I agree. my signature issue as a journalist is uh, trying to fix up the media. I, I, I am uncomfortable at the state of the media, and I'm uh, trying to fix it. And I think that media matters has to be fixed in order for the media to get better. So that's that's what's driving me to, to look into this. Now, when I started... Okay. Looking into uh, media matters, I very quickly discovered uh, over a dozen organizations that are uh, operating side by side media matters in the same office space on the same floor. Um, I mean, really, they're just integrated within each other. 
um, a number of uh, nonprofits, uh, political action committees, uh, consultants, a fundraiser by the name of the Bonner Group. And as I began digging deeper into this hole, I started discovering money was moving from one entity to another. And then I dig deeper, and I discovered that there's cost-sharing agreements. They're sharing assets. They're sharing, sharing employees. They're sharing um, uh, office space and, and, and whatnot. But money's just circulating around, and I believe that's happening because uh, they want to maximize the value of every dollar that's coming in. Sure. Um, now, what's concerning about this and what relates to uh, – my uh, my legal complaint that I'm hoping to uh, to file against um, one of Brock's groups is that when you have money that comes into a nonprofit, non-political dollars, and when they get transferred into a political organization like a super PAC, um, there's disclosure that needs to happen on both sides. Um, the IRS requires the nonprofits to say, "Hey, tell us how much money you donated politically," and the um, and the political action committees need to tell the Federal Election Commission that, hey, um, we are accepting political donations from from this group. And to make a really long story short, a really complex story short, is in relation to Brock's super PAC, American Bridge 21st Century, and its sister nonprofit, American Bridge 21st Century Foundation. So on one end we have the foundation, and on the other end we have the super PAC. And what I discovered was almost $7.5 million dollars from the foundation has been funneled into the super PAC since 2011 under the guise of expense reimbursements. See, the foundation doesn't have any employees at all, period. Uh, they share employees with the super PAC, and they say they reimburse all the time that they use the super PAC's employees uh, through expense reimbursements. The only problem with that is that, and especially in 2015, they got really sloppy is let's say a $100,000 donation comes into the foundation. That's an exact match to a $100,000 expense reimbursement that's sent into the super PAC. Um, considering that it's uh, for uh, a salary overhead expenditures, that doesn't quite make sense. In fact, almost half of the 23 donations that the foundation received in 2015 are exact matches to donations that they, or to expense reimbursements they gave to the super PAC. So to make a long story short, my hypothesis is that those are not expense reimbursements. Those are actually donations. And the foundation is operating like a straw man right. and accepting money and then funneling it right into the super PAC. The reason they would do this is because the foundation reporting to the IRS does not need to disclose the identity of their donors. The super PAC, on the other hand, you know, we can see that uh, George Soros cut you know a million-dollar check uh, about once every year to the to the super PAC, American Bridge. So that's uh, that's public knowledge. You can see that it's it's on the public web. But what we can't what we can't see is the identity of the donors donating to this foundation, and then that money then then gets funneled into the super PAC for political purposes. So if somebody that wants to support the cause but doesn't want their name to be public, which is a a reasonable uh, thing to you know, be concerned about just given the political nature. Sure. Uh, Brock has a system set up, it, it, it appears, that, hey, just donate to the foundation and then we'll take care of it. Um, but that really stinks, and that's not following the rules. You can't do that. And so, uh, Andrew, you're talking, and, and correct me if 
this is being, if I'm overstating this, essentially you're talking about a money laundering, at the end of the day, uh, alleging uh, a money laundering type operation. Is this not correct? Well, um, I don't, I don't know if I want to actually say money laundering, but I'll go back to my previous point where every dollar that comes into the media matters conglomerate, which American Bridge is under, okay. is, is the value of every dollar is, is maximized to its fullest extent. So, um, so they're able to, you know, hide the identity of any big time donors if they wish, it appears, and moving that money from a, a non-political foundation into uh, the a, a political action committee, uh, thus you know getting the money in, but also hiding the identity of the of the donor. So okay. I don't know if money laundering is the right way, but it's kind of washing the the identity of the donor. That would be the motivation behind this. Uh, so this whole- so hiding the identity of the person funding the operation, because nonprofits there they are required to disclose who they give cash grants to or cash to, but they are not required to disclose who gave them cash, right? Exactly. Okay. And what the foundation as a nonprofit is doing is they're funneling those donations, we don't know where they come from, into the super PAC. And the super PAC follows a different set of rules. They're supposed to disclose who gives them money, okay. the identity, and then they're supposed to disclose where they spend the money, every single receipt. And so by obfuscating they're with the foundation effectively hiding the identity of the donor if somebody wishes to not have their name disclosed for whatever reason. This would be dark money. I mean, that's the, that's the exact definition of dark money. And when it gets into a super PAC, it's influencing our election. And we know how much the left is concerned about honest elections. So this is a really big issue on their side because this is dirty, dark money influencing our politics. Andrew Kerr is our guest in the Citizens um, audit.com is his website and he better get a food taster and certainly not uh, stay out of small aircraft because what you're hearing here folks is an exclusive explosive report his findings interim findings of his investigation to the point now where he's getting ready to uh, do some things proactively that uh, that expose him to a lot of liability danger Andrew, this is absolutely staggering. You're talking about millions and millions of dollars, and you're talking about uh, rigging the system, in my view, and those are my words, not yours, but that's my understanding of what I'm hearing here. Yeah, uh, it, it could be it could be that big. It, it could be millions of dollars. Um, okay. Uh, now, I am looking from the outside looking in, and what I've been calling for ever since I started uh, doing this about a year ago is, you know, I, I've been conducting a citizen's audit, looking from the outside in using publicly available data. Um, what needs to happen is a formal investigation into Brock's organizations looking from the inside, and who knows what they're going to uncover. And so what I've been doing for about the past five months is you know, putting together a team uh, to support me in this effort in order to cue the, um, the Federal Election Commission into action here. Um, I believe that the... Uh, uh, the right in particular, um, we're really good at making noise about issues, but then we'll look back a year later and be like, hey, how come nothing ever happened to that? Well, you know, from, from my perspective, we're good at making noise, but not really good at actually taking action. So what I've been doing, and it's been a, a painstakingly long process, but I've been putting together a team 
of uh, people to support me in uh, filing this uh, complaint against American Bridge. Um, I met with a man named uh, Thomas Bjorklin uh, from Colorado. Uh, he uh, has run a number of uh, political campaigns and has experience running super PACs. And he contacted me a couple months ago and he said, hey, uh, you know, I have experience doing these things. And what you're talking about, I mean, this seems... Uh, th- this seems pretty actionable. I mean, you're you're barking up the right tree. And so I I partnered with Thomas, uh, and he put me in contact with a forensic accountant, a forensic CPA by the name of Christina Cook, again in in Colorado. And we did a deep dive into into my findings, and she said, yeah, this looks actionable. This is definitely something that uh you know you're not you're not really playing around here. This is this looks legit. And so. With a, a forensic uh, accountant behind me and a man with experience running political action committees behind me, we then got in contact with a man by the name of uh, Scott Gessler. Now, Scott Gessler is an elections attorney, and he's the former Secretary of State for Colorado. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, pretty exciting, a pretty big name. Wow. And he agreed that, yeah, this certainly looks actionable. Uh, this is definitely a worthwhile endeavor. Um, but... Scott, being an attorney and a pretty uh, high-profile attorney at that, his his um, his fees don't come cheap. His services don't come cheap. So, uh, you know, we we did a quick overview of uh, of what I have, and and he estimated that we're going to need about twenty-five thousand dollars to to fund a good, strong federal elections commission's complaint against American Bridge for exactly what I've described, uh, you know, just a few minutes ago. Now. Uh, so, so, so this money would go and, and, and just kind of give us a little bit of an idea. And folks, you're, you're funding an investigation. Go ahead, sir. Go to Andrew's website, thecitizenaudit.com, thecitizenaudit.com. There's an announcement up there. It's time to take legal action against David Brock. And then on the screen, if you're watching YouTube, uh, folks, go to outreach.reardonstrategic.com. That's outreach.reardonstrategic.com. This is the page you go to to sign the pledge and also uh, where you can where you can donate to uh, help Andrew and his investigative team you know, the forensic accountant and the attorneys to to raise the money to bring this matter to the FCC in form of a formal complaint. Andrew, what, the team, the people you spoke to, very knowledgeable in their fields. You got a forensic accountant. You got some, some. I mean, very knowledgeable. What's their confidence, confidence factor? Because no, no one, and I'll be honest, no one wants to, you know, sink money into a, a an idea that will we'll never get off the ground. But what I'm hearing here is you've got some big names looking at this and saying, "Wait a minute, we have something here that's not just actionable but winnable." Yeah, that's the impression that I've gotten. Um, we, we can see what's happening with President Trump right now. A lot of complaints that get filed by political organizations, um, I, I believe that they're more in line with just harassment, you know, distractions, like, hey, you know, we're going to file this, uh, this complaint against, against you and you're going to have to spend, you know, X amount of time every, every day, every week worrying about that instead of, you know, doing what you're, your mission is. Um, our complaint that I'm working towards is not in that category. Um, it's in the actionable slash uh, winnable category. It's strong. It, it's a it's a good premise. 
and um, and it's it's a worthwhile endeavor to do this, and it's a worthwhile endeavor to do it the right way, which is why I'm not I have been working for five months putting these pieces together instead of just me drafting up a complaint on my own and getting it out there. But what would uh, what would this look like? Let's let's move forward and say that you achieve your goal and you get this thing funded. Then what? What what is this going to look like? Yeah. So um, uh, first of all, the uh, uh, the organization I'm working with to raise the funds. I'm not raising them on my own. I've a uh, I'm I'm working with an organization by the name of Advancing Colorado. They're a libertarian, uh, freedom and opportunity minded uh, organization that has uh, has seen the influence of Brock's organizations firsthand. Uh, Colorado is a pretty um, pretty active battleground state, so a lot of the less messaging gets tested out in, in Colorado. And so, Advancing Colorado once one uh, agreed to work with us, and the uh, the Reardon Strategic page that um, that Joe just uh, mentioned has being run by Advancing Colorado. And I, I felt it was important to uh, partner with an organization like that. It's important that I. I raise these funds ethically. Um, I don't want to make it seem like I'm, you know, just trying to cash out and, and you know, run with it. Um, once this complaint is filed, um, this is where the case gets really intriguing, in my, in my opinion. Uh, with the Federal Election Commission, is unlike the IRS when they receive a complaint. The election, the the FEC is actually required within five days to acknowledge that they've received the complaint, and they have uh, 15 days to make a response to the complaint. Um, and if they decide that the, if they find that the complaint is strong enough and is worthwhile to look into, then the Federal Election Commission actually, um, will conduct an investigation, um, on their own end, um, which is the exciting thing of, of, about this. And that's why the attorney fees are expensive, but they're not, uh, prohibitive, um, because we just need to give them enough reason to start an investigation. Um, do you think, okay, is this a criminal, is this, will this end up in the criminal or stay in the civil or end up in the criminal venue ultimately? It's, it's hard to say. Um, the, the premise on, on the surface is that they're not, um, uh, they're not disclosing political donations. I mean, that's really to, you know, sum it up in one sentence. Uh, that's what we're, that's what we're going on about. And so I feel I have the responsibility after spending so much time looking into this. Uh, to take uh, action to uh, submit this complaint and get the ball rolling, and um, and I, I do think that it will grow legs on its own if the FEC decides to look into this and, and actually uh, investigate the finances of American Bridge. What we discussed at the beginning of this interview with all the organizations, uh, shared office space, shared employees, shared assets. Um, from my point of view, you can't actually fully understand American Bridge without looking at all the organizations. That includes Media Matters, um, uh, Correct the Record if they're still a- operating, uh, uh, the Citizens for Ethics and Responsibility in Washington, D.C. Crew. Um, yeah. yeah, crew, uh, all of them. And so it, it's hard to tell exactly what uh, will happen once we submit this. But if we submit a strong enough complaint, um, I believe that this has the potential to, to snowball. Again, it's hard to tell for sure, but I feel I have a responsibility um, to uh, really make an honest go, go at this. And that's why I've, you know, what I could have done was just write up the complaint on my own. You know, uh, citizens, anybody can submit a Federal Election Commission's complaint. 
but um, I feel the need to do this the right way. And with these backers uh, on my side, um, I feel it's the right it's the right thing to do, and it's the yeah. most strategic. Yeah. You're not going to be ignored. I could tell you that. Given the crew, yeah, pardon the pun that you that you assembled, you're not going to you're you're not going to be ignored. I just have one question now. I'll toss it to Joe. Uh, have you tapped David Brock on the shoulder and said, "Hey, uh, Mr. Brock, I'm coming." Um, no, um, I'm a. One of the things I learned about uh, being a journalist for about a year now is I really don't enjoy the. Uh, the spotlight. I don't really get a kick out of you know, um, it, th- things like that. I, I think that uh, I think that journalism right now is oversaturated, and you know, there's like strong alpha personalities, like like yeah, I'm coming after you. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm driven by uh, doing the right thing. I feel like this is the right thing to do, and um, I think that you know there, there's a, there's smoke here, and everything that I've been looking at is available in the public domain. All I've done is just present. All the pieces of this puzzle, in the right way. I told the the story in the right way, and um, everybody that I talked to about this is like, yeah, this uh, this looks actionable. This may we we may be able to produce some results. We may be able to do some good here. Um, and so, you know, that that's what we're that's what we're setting out to do. Um, I think it has great potential, um, and that's why we're uh, going through the effort of uh, of raising twenty five thousand dollars to uh, fund uh, Mr. Gessler's services. To make an honest go of, uh, of this, and um, yeah, but if you talked to me a year ago saying that I was going to be making a, a fundraising plea on the, the Hagman the Hagman report, <laughs> I would have said you're crazy. But you know, here we are. Um, and uh, like Joe said, um, we've got a, a fundraising page up. If there's anything that you can give to support this effort, um, it would truly, from the bottom of my heart, be appreciated. Um, the sooner we raise these funds, the sooner that we can. Uh, we can do this, but we need to, you know, start bringing in the the money to fuel this operation. Um, if you can't uh, donate anything, that's okay. I could still use your help. Um, we have a pledge open, so you can sign your name, um, and we'll keep you updated throughout this process. And also, I personally believe that the value of just sharing on social media uh, this pledge is. Uh, is worth it on its own. Um, if you could share it on your social media pages uh, with your circle, you know, the more eyes that are on this, the the you know more potential donors that we have, and the quick and the sooner we can take measurable action against um, American Bridge. And so, you know, that's um that's what we're going that's what we're going for. Um, we would truly appreciate uh, any help that you can give, be it um, a donation or you know just a, you know simply signing our um, our pledge or uh, sharing on your social sites, but you know any, anything that you, that you can provide us with would be incredibly appreciated. Um, on another note, I think that it's important to show, you know, just the um, uh, the right wing establishment that you know this is a you know a bottom up campaign, and there's not a lot of uh, operations like this where I see you know uh, people on the right banding together to take action against an, an offending organization. You know, we're really our rugged individualism is one of our greatest strengths, but I think it's also one of our greatest weaknesses. The left is incredibly well versed in banding together to take action, but the right, you know, we make a lot of noise, but uh, rarely do I see you know efforts like this where we you know put our our heads together and you know make a concerted effort. And so, 
I think that, you know, in a secondary level, uh, this has value to show that there is an interest on the right to, to pursue things like this, to, to take legal action. Um, you know, I'm working with some great people, some great organizations in Colorado, but there really isn't a national infrastructure, um, on the right for activities like this. And there needs to be because there's a lot of activities, but there's a lot of organizations on the left that focus on legal matters against defending organizations on the right. And I actually don't have a problem with that. If you're breaking the rules, you're breaking the rules. You should be held accountable. But there needs to be a counterbalance on the right to act as a watchdog to organizations on the left. And there's, you know, there's just really not, not a lot of that. So, you know, we need to show that there's an interest for that. And I think this is a, this is a great project to sign on to, to, um, absolutely. You know, to and, and Andrew, we run out of time. Uh, folks, go to thecitizensaudit.com. On the right-hand side is the uh, button you can click to to donate, as well as the article uh, announcement. It's time to take legal action against David Brock. It lays everything out there, and that will take you this is to explosive. the page. Andrew, we're going to continue to promote this, and we're going to have you back on soon to, to do this again. But explosive. thank you for all your hard work, and we will talk with you soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. Andrew Kerr, Explosive Information. We're going to be right back. See where we're at. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Green Innovative. But what Green Innovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, you need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greeninnovative.com. That's greeninnovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. A Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport because it's so efficient it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire so don't rely on gas or fuel stoves prepare your family prepare for yourself order a Minuteman rocket stove today it's going to make bad times much better folks minutemanstove.com minutemanstove.com need I say more you should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an MOK. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest 
Precious Plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288. Precious Timber. edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Uh, Dr. Bill Warner is our guest, and we're going to get to him in just a moment. I want to direct your attention to HagmanReport.com. Uh, I know, Dad, you said something about this earlier. There is a uh, a few things that are up there that are pretty important. Uh, one, uh, two actually, two things. First, Liz Crokin has two new articles that she has up there today, and the latest one is exclusive Seth Rich evidence disappearing. That was posted today, and then earlier this morning she posted, the Virginia shooting is tied to sex trafficking. Make sure that you check that out, as well as uh, another article from the desk of Sergeant Tim, Polarization Breaking Point. That's on the front page of HagmanReport.com. And also, uh, Peter Chauka's latest, Fox News Channel retires its fair and balanced motto. All four of those stories are up on the, the under the news segment under Hagman on Hagman and Hagman Report, and they're all uh, very good reads. And I suggest uh, people go there and, and share those articles. Those again, that's original content written specifically for the Hagman Report by Liz Crokin and Sergeant Tim and, and uh, Peter Choka. He he also writes for the American Thinker. He's His a marvelous there guy. Too. I mean, marvelous intellectual man. And I just want to pop in here and say this. I want to thank each and every one of the, the, the writers from Sergeant Tim to Liz, publicly thank them, and, and, and Peter. Thank you for submitting your information to the Hagman Report. Thank you for blessing us with the content, with your research. And, and even our guests that we're going to be bringing on here momentarily, Dr. Bill Warner, uh, everyone has... Uh, bits and pieces of a larger puzzle. And, and as I look at things, as we look at the landscape of, of America and the world today, I mean, if you think of this as a giant mosaic, everyone can't know all, I mean, really all parts of that mosaic. Um, there are different parts. And Liz Crokin, the, again, when she came out yesterday and, and, and made reference to that Virginia shooting and uh, the the connection uh, with with uh, uh, Scalise to the child tra- trafficking, uh, it just never occurred to me. But but when you start stop and think about this and start looking at all the pieces from different angles, so I, I said all that to say this. I hope, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you can see that we are progressing with the with the efforts of Joe, with the efforts of Eric, the tech, John Robertson, who will be uh, actually will be coming in to the studio. Uh, moving, uh, picking up sticks and moving, you know, 3,000 miles, uh, to be in here. What we're doing is we are, we are operating under a new mandate, if you will. We, your support, I hope you can see where your support is going and how we are growing and how we are progressing moving forward. And it's with guests like we're, like Dr. Bill Warner, uh, the political Islam, talking about topical things that we're going to be talking about. 
understanding the problems, and then, like we had with Andrew Kerr, uh, the last segment, not just understanding the problems, but going after them, like Mr. Kerr has done and is doing. So we are bringing you not just the problems, not just exposing the problems, but the problems and the potential solutions. And we ourselves, as a group, have formed um, the, the, the task force, really, to go after a number of different things, whether it be the political or Islamic infiltration in the political systems, to expose that, or the pedogate issues, regardless of what the subject is. We have taken up that mantle, and this is what we're doing now. We're, we are being proactive. We're not just saying, hey, that we have a problem. We're saying, this is the problem. This is what we're doing about it. Here are the people involved that are doing things about it, and here is our anticipated result. And hopefully you, you can see that as we as we are growing and moving forward. And I want to thank each and every one of you for your support. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for your support. And even if... Even if it's it's just a prayer or a a word of mouth or just by subscribing to YouTube or YouTube channel, regardless, thank you. Or just tuning in, period. Thank you for doing so. Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you. Our guest uh, for this segment, for this hour, is Dr. Bill Warner. Politicalislam.com is is the website. And we're going to open it up tonight. Uh, We talked a little bit about this last week. there were, was a little bit of backlash from the Muslim community, at least in the media, over a billboard that was in Indianapolis, which was titled The Perfect Man. This billboard had six bullet points, which go on to describe uh, Muhammad. And they ne- never mention Islam. It never mentions Muhammad. It just is titled The Perfect Man, and then it has six bullet points, and it starts with um, married a, a six-year-old girl. I believe that's the first one on the left-hand side. And it makes other claims, uh, you know, killed 600 Jews in a day uh, and, and a few yeah, other ones. Dr. Warner can, can certainly address them all. Uh, right. And, yeah. and uh, a lot of the criticisms about the billboard was that the claims on the billboard were inaccurate. They were lies. They were hate speech. And a lot of the people who said that were Muslims themselves and again, even though the billboard never mentioned Muhammad or his name kind of or, or Islam, uh, these people immediately identified it with Muhammad, and rightfully so. Uh, Dr. Bill Warner, welcome back to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Uh, let's get right into this. Good. Glad to be back. I think we have something really remarkable happening here. First off, the people who put this billboard up, which uh, I spoke with one of them before they did it, they wanted to make sure that what the thing said were true. Instead of dealing with the religion of Islam and dealing with the Quran and dealing with Allah, they instead deal with, well, he's behind the screen, but they deal with Muhammad. Muhammad is the Achilles heel of Islam. And I love the fact that they didn't say it was any of it wasn't. I think the Muslims use the duck theory here. You know the duck theory? It walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, swims like a duck. It's probably a duck. And so I think that they were able to uh, look at all these bullet points and go, they're talking about our Prophet Muhammad. So I thought it was clever the way they did that. Absolutely. Now, there's something else that's non-clever here, which points to a bigger problem. They wanted to put it on more billboards, but the national companies wouldn't carry it. So okay. they had to find a, a small local company who would carry it. 
And I think here we deal with the big problem, which is, is that in America, people do not want to be Islamophobic. And so what is Islamophobia? Well, Islamophobia is a ill, the, the, um, no one's ever been able to tell me what Islamophobia is, but everybody's afraid of it. <laughs> well, uh, uh, the, getting back to the sign though, uh, the, 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 it shouldn't, I, I mean, I'm, I'm tongue tied because my goodness, no one's mentioned by name. Nope. <laughs> but remember the duck? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it swims like a duck, quacks like a duck, walks like a duck. So I think some people said, you know, I think it's a duck. Hmm. Because the things that Muhammad did, I mean, they did not make up anything here. Everything they take out of, they put on the bulletin board, and by the way, this is only a few of his uh, foibles, shall we say, all come from two sources. We know more about Muhammad than we do George Washington. For instance, I have no idea how George Washington went to the bathroom, but we know exactly how Muhammad went to the bathroom. We know about his bathroom habits. We know what he said before he went into the bathroom. We know what he said before he had sex. We know how he had sex. We know what we know how he ate. We know how he, we know how he knocked on a door and how he laid on his back. I mean, the minutiae we know about Muhammad goes on and on and on. And these six bullet points are just a few taken off the list of this is who Muhammad is. And yes, he did marry a six-year-old and consummated the marriage when she was nine. And let me, oh, by the way, let me give you the worst news. People will tell you that because they say she was six years old when he married her, and she was twelve years old, nine years old when it was consummated the marriage. What they don't tell you is, is those are lunar years, and they're even the the, the age is actually younger than that because we're used to thinking years in solar terms, which is three hundred and sixty-five days a year. Right. Well, a lunar year is twelve months, twelve months of twenty-eight days, and I don't know what the math does real quickly, but it's not 365 days. So she was actually a little younger than six, a little younger than nine when it was consummated. So uh, this is all factual material. All right. Is is this, is what we're seeing part, um, this normalization, this strikes me as, as, as attempting to normalize uh, pedophilia. I don't know how else to describe that, but making it okay uh, to, uh, to have sex with underage children. Is this, is this what we're seeing here, kind of an outgrowth from that? Uh, I, I, I'm not even sure how to, how to frame that question aside from the way well, I did it. Let's address the bigger issue. Okay. There are 91 verses in the Quran which state that Muhammad is the perfect pattern for all human life. That every human being is supposed to be a father like Muhammad, a husband like Muhammad, a warrior like Muhammad, eat their food like Muhammad, go to the bathroom like Muhammad. So this is called the Sunnah, S-U-N-N-A, the Sunnah, the pattern of the life of Muhammad. So if there's 91 verses in the Quran which state that everybody is to live a life like Muhammad, what does this tell me? It tells me it's very, very important. Let's, let's diverge a little bit here about the Quran and the relationship to Muhammad. There are, there is, have you heard of the five pillars of Islam? Yes. Well, you cannot practice a single one of the five pillars of Islam based on what's in the Quran. There's not enough information there. The Quran does not contain enough information to be a Muslim. Mm. So where does the rest of being a Muslim come from? Well, it comes from Muhammad. Remember those 91 verses? Yes. 91 verses say that everyone's to imitate Muhammad, and we know a lot about Muhammad. 
As I look up from my desk here, I can see a book called The Life of Muhammad. It's called the Sira, S-I-R-A, and it's an 800-page book in fine print. Like I say, we know an enormous amount about Muhammad, and every one of these bullet points, the six bullet points, come from the Sira. Marriage with Aisha, killing the... Uh, now, by the way, some of they said he killed 600 Jews. They could make an argument, that's not true, he only killed 500. Because what the Hadith, the tradition say it was from 500 to 700, some say 900. But all those things, uh, the jihad, I don't know, I don't even think they mentioned jihad. But every point on there can be found in his biography. So this is literally true. The problem is we don't want to talk about it. Okay. I want to talk about it. <laughs> well, you, you know, the, the, the uh, news cycle, the news cycle seems to, to, to just change. Well, it does change daily, obviously, hourly. But people will recall the most recent London attacks, the attacks in London. Um, and then the, well, we had two, two attacks in, in the UK within 12 days of, of each other. And the London mayor, of course, being Muslim. Uh, this is what we're talking about here, in my view anyway, is still topical to, to the news because what we're seeing take place is the destruction of, of the UK, destruction of Europe. And of course, we're seeing this being pushed down our throats, Sharia. And this was, remember, just a week ago now, folks, this is a big topic here in the United States. Sharia, there were marches, pro-Sharia, anti-Sharia marches. Um, but yet you had people, even feminists coming out in support of Sharia law, which is just insane. So all of this is topical as we talk about this today. And Dr. Bill Warner is a, is an expert on Political Islam. In fact, his website, politicalislam.com. And he, May 25th, 2017, Human Rights Sharia Wrongs. Of course, it's into a lot of things. But, did you want to say to, just real quick, the, uh, I guess the definition of Islamophobia, according to uh, a number of, of sources, is the dislike of or prejudice against Islams or Muslims, especially as a political force. But that's all it is, right? Islam is not really a religion, Doctor Warner. It's a, it's a, it's a political, uh, uh, it's it's a political ideology disguised as a religion. Am I correct, or is that am I off base here? Well, I I, w- I would say it a little differently. Okay. Remember, we'll just go back to the Quran, and I told you about the Sirah, the life of Muhammad. Then we have the Hadith, his traditions, which are little bitty stories. There's a reason I'm bringing this up. Islam has a trilogy of three sacred texts. Quran, Sirah, Hadith. If we go through those and we measure and we take out everything that's about me, the Kafir, and you're a Kafir too, I presume, although I haven't really asked you. You're not a Muslim, are you? Nope. No, we are Christians. Then then, <laughs> I didn't think you were, but you said to confirm that, uh, that uh, you are a Kafir, K-A-F-I-R, which means a non-Muslim. And I use the word Kafir rather than infidel uh, because the word Kafir means uh, one who covers up or conceals, and the usual adjective that goes with it is filthy kafir. So the kafir is the original Arabic word, and I use it because the word can't really be translated. Allah despises kafirs, hates kafirs, plots against kafirs, creates kafirs for the sole purpose of watching them burn in hell. So anyway, 
back to the three books, 51% of the text of the Quran, the Sirah, the Hadith is about the Kafir. Now, you would think that it would be about how to go to heaven and avoid hell, but that's only 49% of the, of the textual doctrine. What am I saying here? I call the part that deals with Kafir political since I am definitely not part of the religion. So it is both a religion and it is a political system, and really it's a cultural system. I've heard more than one Muslim here in Nashville, Tennessee, say Islam is a complete civilization, a complete way of life. If it were only a religion, I would be out of my workshop making a new piece of furniture. But because it's a political system, I'm here talking to you because I do not want to live under Sharia. How close are we? Uh, this is this is something that's been on our radar for for quite some time, uh, Doctor Warner. Uh, watching these, simply put, watching this. Uh, unholy alliance between the communists, I believe that's what they are, or although they might refer to themselves as progressives in, in the, uh, in the, on the left of center politically. This alliance between the progressives and the Muslims has never been greater. And then you, you, we're seeing the, the feminists now, these, these, yeah. these feminist groups coming in. The LGBT and, 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 groups yes, in. yes. What in the world, Dr. Warner, is going on here in the United States, especially, but also in Europe? What, because there's Sharia, you know, these coexist bumper stickers. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, where, where do you even start? But what's going on in the larger sense? And we can kind of drill down from there. You know, you mentioned earlier that we Islam was destroying Europe. I would say it differently. I would say Europe is creating is committing suicide with the use of Islam. Because I don't know how many times I've said this. It is not Islam is so strong, it's that we are weak, we're ignorant, we're afraid, and so therefore we're slowly committing suicide because we don't want to stand up to the fact that there's a war going on here. And we've had an education system which has been taken over by those who are left of center for some time. And let me say this. Why has the left been able to take over the education system? Because the so-called conservatives and uh, libertarians are unwilling to stand and duke it out in the universities. The universities... Yeah, let me take Vanderbilt University, which is here in Nashville, Tennessee. I was there. Well, I used to be proud of the fact I went there. I did my undergraduate. By self-reporting, over 90% of the faculty in the uh, liberal arts school is left of center. They either call themselves liberals, progressives, or just out and out leftists. Now, how are you getting any balanced thought out of the university? You're not. I did a talk one time at Vanderbilt University and was accused by a man screaming in the back of the room that I was a racist, a hater, a bigot, and an Islamophobe. He was head of the Middle East Department. My talk merely consisted of statistical analysis of the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith. The point I'm making here is, is that critical thought is no longer being taught in the universities. Instead, it's ideological and implantation. And it is being worked so well because who, I mean, I'm a freak. I'll actually show up and debate with somebody at a university. But let me tell you, the good Christians here in Nashville, Tennessee, don't want to do that because they are too nice. The real cancer we're suffering from is the disease of nice. Okay, apathy and and, well, I, I, and I get that. Yeah, and that's that's similar to what I say. We don't have a problem with intolerance. We have a problem with tolerance. We tolerate too much. Don't forget, folks. It was just five days ago. It was June uh, reported on June 11th. Uh, uh, Anti-Sharia marchers 
uh, met with counter protests around the country and Dr. Warner, and again, I just want to drive this home with people, uh, the, the images of the masses of people countering the people who objected the imposition of Sharia here in the United States, holding signs, my Sharia knows no hate, immigrant rights or workers' rights, resist Trump, um, uh, support Sharia. We stand with our Muslim neighbors. These are some just some signs I'm quoting here. I, I am a Christian uh, in support of Sharia. Uh, do these people even understand what they're talking about? I think they, what the protesters' signs should have read, we hate Sharia wife beating. We hate Sharia jihad. We hate Sharia the demi status. That one might not be a good one to use. It might ask somebody to cause a, ask a question. But instead of calling out Sharia, we need to call out what it is that I always like to use Sharia wife-beating because no one will publicly defend wife-beating, and yet the Sharia explicitly calls out how to beat your wife. This is not some drunken affair with white trash in a trailer park. This is a laid out in the scripture of Islam in both the Hadith, the traditions, and the Quran on here's how a Muslim is to beat his wife and why he's to beat his wife, what he's to tell the wife before he strikes her, where he's to strike her, how he's to strike her, so I think we should not oppose Sharia. We should oppose things like Sharia wife beating, Sharia jihad, Sharia stoning, Sharia amputations for crime. That is to put it, because once you say Sharia wife beating, a feminist is a little hard to stand up and say, we're all for Sharia wife beating. But Sharia has, but you, the biggest lie we hear about Sharia is, well, you know, Sharia is just like uh, Halakha, Jewish law. Or Sharia is just like uh, Christian, I mean, Catholic canon law. Well, canon law and, and halakha, Jewish law, concern themselves with the Catholic and the Jew. The reason I object to Sharia is, is that Sharia says that I should shut up my face and not do what I do, which is to speak and write about Islam. So, okay, but, but, but we need to understand you, what we're you, opposing better. But, but, Doctor, you cannot, or can you extract um, wife beating and, and all the objectionable aspects of Sharia? And still be intellectually correct or or, or uh, ideologically correct. Well, when I say I w- the sign I would have held would have been uh, I oppose Sharia wife beating. I just want to educate as to what Sharia is because, like I say, most people have been sold the bill of goods that Sharia is simply a, another religious doctrine. But Muslims like to say, "Oh, Sharia is how we practice our religion." I'm real bad about measuring things. You've already heard a few numbers come out of my mouth. I look up at my desk and I see a book called The Reliance of the Traveler, which is a Sharia manual. 35% of it is devoted to how to do the five pillars. So 35% of the book is about how to be a religion. The other 65% are how to run a civilization. And I don't want to live in the civilization that they run. Because for one thing, I would not have my head. Oh, okay. All right. I'm kind of fond of my head. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, serves a more of a purpose than a than a hat rack. Okay, and, and it does folks, keep the hat off my shoulders. And that's right. And folks, remember that the headlines, the big headlines this past weekend were the counter protests against the anti Sharia marches. Remember that, and yeah. remember this people on the streets. Go ahead. The the anti Sharia protests were uh, in a number of different states and, and cities. And the media last week was already uh, promoting them as as hate-filled, violent sure. protest. And then the counter-protesters, you know, the LGBT groups and and the the communists got out there, 
to boycott the anti-Sharia protests in, you know, standing up for Sharia law. And it is, it is crazy. It's, it's complete. When you have groups that these religion, that this, you know, cult, religion, political system, whatever you want to call it, Islam, is, uh, against to the point that they, it's in their books that they kill you, but you are, you're defending them. There is a, a cognitive distance there that, um, hopefully can, can be replaced one day with, with common sense. But, but Dr. Warner, back to, I want to make sure we, we cover this, uh, the perfect man billboard. We went over the married, the six year old. Uh, we, we also talked about, you know, the, the beheading of 600 Jews in a day. Um, slave owner in and a dealer. Day. Yeah. Slave owner and dealer is another one. Rapist is Let's another one. Let's talk about that. Okay. Let's talk about that. I, I, by the way, one of the, this is ironic. I taught for eight years at a historically black university. Now, why, the reason that it's so ironic is one of the things they say about me is I'm a racist. A racist who took part of the civil rights movement in the seven, in the sixties and seventies. And yet, and taught at a black university. And yet I am a racist. Now, where was I going with that? What was your question originally? We were uh, talking about the the perfect man billboard, the slave owner and dealer ah, claim. Okay. What I learned being there was is that the theory of slavery taught at this black university was what I call the West Post of Africa with the evil white man on the wooden ship. Slavery starts with the white man on the wooden ship with the slaves on board, and he's getting ready to mistreat them and sell them for a profit. How come at a black university, and I'm just using this because I was there, doesn't teach the complete history of slavery, which is the white slave owner who's on the wooden ship bought them from a Muslim slave dealer who went through the process of jihad to put all these slaves in a pen so they could be sold. This was a commercial transaction with invoices and bills of sale. Why is it that Christians get contaminated with the truth of the fact that they uh, they took part in slavery, yet it was Christians who ended slavery. The Muslims who, who, and by the way, all this is in support of the fact that Muhammad was a slave dealer. He he retailed them, he wholesaled them, he gave them away for gifts. He tortured them, he prayed while they were tortured. Uh, So Muhammad was deep into the slave trade. Part of the process of jihad was to capture kafirs and sell them for the profit to buy armor and horses for more jihad. Mr. Warner. Why isn't this normal? Dr. Warner, we're up against the, we're up against the network break. Uh, we're gonna pick up here right where we left off. Why isn't this known? The history of the, the Muslim history of uh, their involvement in the slave trade and the mis, uh, continuing to talk about the misconceptions and the lies that Muslims, uh, when they talk about their their faith of Islam. Folks, we're talking with Dr. Bill Warner. PoliticalIslam.com is the website. We'll be right back after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. 
folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you could possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely. Eric's a... It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow. It's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Chang Post in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to 18 major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Remedies Kit. It contains 12 homeopathic remedies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues. And so can you. Check out our American Heritage Remedies Kit at www.changepersonwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. That means you can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. our guest politicalislam.com is his website before we get back to Dr. Warner I'd urge everyone to go to Trading Post in the Woods there are partners in this radio endeavor as we as we look at uh, the long term the necessity of having long term uh, possibilities or long term uh, yeah the possibilities in our cabinet what, what would happen for example if your pharmacy if you didn't have any any way uh well to, to get aid from your pharmacy you might be up up a creek without a paddle well training posts in the woods have got just some amazing products american heritage heritage remedies kit deluxe package that was created just for the listeners of the hagman and hagman report i've got to tell you we have used products from training post in the woods with great success these stem from the old remedies your grandmother used to have, perhaps your great-grandmother. Those old folk remedies 
but they work. They're very effective. And this is based on many, many years. Uh, the owners responding to uh, disasters upon disasters and finding that people weren't prepared for what they were involved in. Trading Post in the Woods has a way that you can prepared, be prepared for whatever disaster might befall you and not having to be reliant upon pharmacies or that kind of uh, doctors if one that's not available. Let me tell you, these home remedies, if you will, they work. I swear by them. My wife does as well. We've seen some amazing things from the products. TradingPostInTheWoods.com Folks, go there. TradingPostInTheWoods.com Spend some time on the website. Have a look at the products. And I would definitely, definitely grab grab yourself the products and even some of the uh, informational uh, products that they have. TradingPostInTheWoods.com Now, this again last weekend, Joe, and, and I just want to, and you, you can continue with the with the um, uh, with what you're talking about before the break. But I just want to remind people because a number of cities, I think 28 cities in the United States, there were there were protest rallies held in about two dozen cities in about 20 uh, states. They were organized by the conservative group Act for America, uh, which the Southern Poverty Law Center calls the largest grassroots anti-Muslim group in America, claiming 280,000 members and over 100 or over a thousand chapters. The organization describes itself as the NRA of national security, and frankly, I agree with that depiction. And the issue at hand here last weekend was the position of Sharia. The, how Sharia has been making inroads across the United States. Just go look at UK. Look at look at uh, Proposition uh, M103 in Canada. That motion 103 in Canada uh, right now regarding hate speech. There's a lot of things taking place. Part and parcel to what we're seeing is exactly what Dr. Bill Warner's specialty and where it exists. Now, Joe, I'm going to kick it back to you, uh, and you can continue on with uh, what you were asking prior to the break. Yeah, we are talking about the Perfect Man billboard in Indiana, in Indianapolis, and we were talking about the uh, one of the claims on the billboard, slave owner and dealer. And, Dr. Warner, you were um, beginning to explain some of the origins of slavery both on the side of the slave takers and of the side of, of those who had freed the slaves. Um, why don't you pick up right where you left off? We need to understand the roots of slavery. There were, uh, best I can calculate, slavery is a bad business, and one of the ways it's bad is the collateral damage. I've spoken with a slave I'm from uh, who escaped slavery from Islam, and he lived in Africa. He and his sister went to the marketplace to sell beans. The jihadists came. They were jihadists. And they killed his mother and father and captured his wife, his, his sister and him. They took them immediately away a long distance. She was raped every night, gang raped. And finally he was introduced to his new owners who said he no longer had a name. He would be called Abed, black slave. That's the Arabic term for black slave. Each took a stick and hit him, and he got to sleep in the barn with the animals. I'm just bringing you this so that we don't think that slavery is an issue. And I saw this man at Vanderbilt University give a talk. And I was the only one in the room who wanted to talk about the source of this slavery, which was Islam. So 
is the reason that Islam is so deep into the slave trade. Remember, I told you. Remember the phrase Sunnah, S-U-N-N-A, of Muhammad. Muhammad was a slave dealer and a slave trader. Therefore, any Muslim can participate in slavery. Now, let's go back to the collateral damage. I told you that he has his mother and father killed. It is estimated that five people died for every slave and put in the slave pens. And the reason they died is this. When the village was attacked, they killed strong men until finally no one was left to resist. The healthy working adults were then force-marched quickly away from the village leaving behind the ill, the old, and the babies. So you had to kill a lot of Africans to bring home one African to put in the pen on the west coast of Africa. And by the way, slaves were also sold in the Mediterranean. Ooh, and have I mentioned white slavery yet? There's an an estimate that over a million and a quarter Europeans were taken in slavery, in slave raids across the Mediterranean into Europe. They went as far as ice. They went as far as Iceland, and they went as far as frequently to uh, Ireland. Now, Muhammad had slaves. He had black slaves. He had white slaves. He had Arab slaves. The reason we know this is is that the race of the slaves were told. He profited from their sale, and he had sex slaves. Islamic State was condemned by people as being grotesquely un-Islamic for having sex slaves, and they wrote an entire magazine called the Beak which they gave all the justification for sex slaves. And I love reading Islamic State's theology, doctrine, tracts that they put out because they're dead on good. They know their business. They should. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi has a PhD in Islamic studies from al-Azhar. So they proudly proclaim that sex slaves are Sunnah of Muhammad and that every Muslim can have a sex slave. They are correct in these assertions. So, Islam is the root, the taproot of slavery and yet they walk off scot-free. Christians are smeared with the concept of slavery, and yet they were the ones who ended it. We need to be getting some justice, but we cannot wait on justice from the powerful. We cannot wait on justice from the Muslims. We must create justice from down below. We need to have schools, such as religious schools. There's a large one here at David Lipscomb University. It's not called Lipscomb University. And it's a Church of Christ school, but they will teach you nothing of the suffering of Christians under Islam, they will teach you nothing of the true slave trade. Well, if you'll notice, I have a theme here. I do not blame the left for winning. I blame us for losing. You understand the difference? I don't whine about how good the team is that beat us. I whine about how we don't get out and do our laps, don't do our work, and so therefore we show up at the game. We don't even show up. So I'm a critic of us for losing. I do not criticize Islam for winning. Nor do I criticize the left for winning. We need to learn from our enemies and realize there's something better than a ball game on Saturday afternoon. Amen. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And and, uh, folks, that's important. That that whole that whole uh, concept is important to really comprehend. um, What Doctor Bill Warner just just stated. It's 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 phenomenal. You want to continue on that path with the. uh, Yeah. Let's go billboard. Let's go uh, to the next claim. Let's let's go to the next billboard. Okay. The the next claim on the billboard is rapist. Yeah. Well, I think we've already touched on that, haven't we? Yes, we I think we covered that pretty we, well. We've also well, we, we, we can we can deal with it some more. Muhammad, here's 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 a here's a cheat day with Muhammad. He attacks your tribe. He kills your husband. He kills your father by torturing him to death. Then he takes you and marries you, and you have sex with him that night. Now that's a hot date with Muhammad. Hey. How do I know that? Because it is given. I, 
You don't need to make anything up when you deal with Islam. This comes from the Sirah, the life of Muhammad. Now it does not say it was a hot date. That was my that was a little irony there, a little attempted, a little levity here in the middle of the a little sort, the sort there. Of moment. Yeah. So uh it's all there. But no, uh now you may say well, that's not really rape, but let me go further with the rape idea. In more than one verse in the Quran it mentions that you can have sex with those whom your right hand possesses. That is a term of art for the slave that you have captured in combat. So that means in Germany, when a Muslim manages to catch a German girl and rape her, that is not a crime in the eyes of Islam. That is an act of jihad. He had her in his possession, and the Quran and Muhammad Sunnah gives him the right to have sex with her as much as he wants, because he is following the Quran, he is following the Sunnah of Muhammad. So we need to understand here that all, everything that a Muslim does has its roots in the doctrine of Islam. Okay. All right. And, and folks, this is important again, because what we're witnessing today is everything that Dr. Warner is delineating here, and it's being defended by people really who either are witting, or well, unwitting dupes, or willing participants in this um, subjugation to a doctrine of uh, uh, oppression, I guess is the best way to put it. Go ahead, continue. The um, One of the next claims on the billboard is beheaded 600 Jews in one day, and you said that that figure... Um, Between 5 and 9. Five and seven, yeah, 700 to 900. So we could criticize them there. But by the way, let, there's a lesson to be learned here. Look, there's a lesson to be learned in all of this stuff. Islam continues to do the same things. You know why? Because they work. People say, oh, Islam needs a reform. You ever notice the people crying out for reform are not the Muslims, but those are, who are Kafirs? So there's no need to reform what is... We, I'm from the South, and we have a saying down here, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So why would, you, why would Islam as a political doctrine, taking over civilization, is working better now than it has since the days of Muhammad? Why would you want to improve this by reforming it? That's yeah. a good point. And obviously they've been successful throughout history in in their mission, in their caliphate, and uh, continue to, to be successful here today, both in the U.S. and in Europe. Yes, very successful. Very successful. You, you wrote an article. Um, in, in fact, you had, uh, man, uh, 14, let me just make sure I have this right. Uh, when you were talking about the... Uh, Refugees, and this is something that we talk we talk a lot about. Uh, Dr. Warner is is the number of refugees coming into this country. One thing I'll, I'll mention: I had a meeting, or Joe and I both had a meeting. Uh, this was, I, I think, around June first, with uh, Sargas Sangari, commander of the Syrian Army, uh, Kashaba as well, an undisclosed location where we were getting some information. We were, we were getting briefed about the genocide against Christians in Syria in and, and in Iraq. All right. Now we got we got some we 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 were allowed to see some papers that uh are not public. And to to see these papers it just blew our minds. But in your and they they had to do with the refugee crisis. Um or when I, I shouldn't say crisis, the refugee uh, issues facing Europe. And you had written an article, I think it was uh, uh, February 8th of this year, The Truth About Christians Among the Refugees, where you cite the figure 
of four, only 14% of refugees who filed for asylum uh, in Germany in 2015 were Christians. Uh, essentially, the rest were Muslims. Yes. Okay. What's going on here on, on both ends? Where are the Christians? Well, here's the letter. Let me, let me talk about what I directly know, what I know about Nashville, Tennessee. Here we have a Christian organization, Catholic Charities, who is the one who makes the money by bringing in Somali refugees. Now then, amongst other things, it's not. Just, I don't want to be off on a Christian thing here because I could also flog the Jews. There's a one for them bringing in refugees. There's Lutherans. I think the uh, there's many Christian groups who are making a deal with the government that they will bring in Muslim refugees and take care of them. Absolutely. And they'll get. And they'll make some money. Yeah. One of the things that they will sign in the contract is this: that they will not attempt to convert any of the Muslims. I don't know how familiar you are with Christian doctrine, but there's something called the Great Commission. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel. But for 30 pieces of silver, these Judases, who consider themselves, by the way, to be morally superior to me, I'll tell you that, are selling out Christianity for a little profit. Actually, for a lot of profit. So who am I blaming here? I'm blaming the Christians for this. Why aren't the Christians jumping up and down and raising a little ruckus over this? I can. I spoke with one woman who is a, uh, a Syrian Christian. Her mother came to America on a 747. She was the only Christian on the airplane. All the rest of them were Muslim refugees. And why is this? Because the Christians won't stand up for their own. Again, I don't blame the Muslims for winning the refugee war. I blame us for losing the refugee war because we choose not to fight. We're dying of the disease, the cancer of nice. What, whatever happened to the backbones of people? I don't know. Did they not issue those as a standard issue for a citizen anymore? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love it, doctor. And really, don't hold back because this is one of my pet peeves here. Really, we, we are, uh, we are rolling over. You know, as Christians, Dr. Warner, as Christians, you're right. We are supposed to adhere to the we are supposed to go out and preach the gospel. That's that's our mandate as Christians. Yet, as you stated, for 30 pieces of silver, these organizations have acquiesced into this, well, okay, hands-off approach. Uh, this is incredible. It really is. Well, I mean, there's something else that's incredible. Uh I usually don't talk about religion, but I know enough about to talk about this. In the book of Matthew, there's a prophecy by Jesus that on Judgment Day, Christians will be judged on how well they treated the persecuted church. When I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was in prison, did you visit me? And let me tell you something. In Nashville, Tennessee, the churches, 95% of them proudly proclaim, we will do none of those things. Instead, we will bleed in our hearts for the poor Muslims. But we will not stand up for the persecuted Christians. I mean, I think that's appalling. Absolutely. No one's standing up for that. Our government, from what Joe and I saw, our government, the State Department, Mike, well, and I, we have to be careful, you know, I, the State Department, uh, under Obama allowed, in my view anyway, just based on an assessment of the documentation we saw, allowed Christians to be wiped out, wiped out of Syria. And that's why there, there, there are very few Christians coming into these European countries as well as um, America. Because they're dead. But why weren't the Christians in the street with signs protesting outside the White House, bring our Christians home? Exactly. 
No, I blame us again. Yes. I look. I never played much sports because I was into books instead. But I have been around those who have. And when it comes time to look at the game films, the coach does not stand there and say, "Look how good the opponents was. Why were they so good? Why did they do this so well?" Instead, they look and say, "When they did this, we didn't do that." That is, we analyze why we lose, and we don't seem to be able anymore to analyze why we lose anymore. Instead, we want to proclaim, "Oh, nobody's losing." You see, we all cross the finish hand singing "Kumbaya" hand in hand. We don't have winners and losers anymore. Mm. Jeez. Mm-hmm. All right, I, I'm going to read a paragraph to you, and, and uh, I'd like your your two sentences actually, and I'd like your uh, assessment of this. This is from NPR. Again, um, this was published just a few days ago, where in response to the anti-Sharia protests, as they were described, according to NPR. Here's what they wrote. Sharia is a, quote, is a legal or philosophical code derived from Islamic scripture and meant to guide the behavior of observant Muslims, end quote. As NPR's Tom Jelton noted, religious experts say it's similar to parts of Christian and Jewish customs. Now, I know what you said earlier, but that, what would you say to that specific piece of text? It's half true. Mm-hmm. By the way, I've testified in court, and I had to. I was noticing that when they swore in some people for the recent Hobar in in uh, Washington D.C., do you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Notice that emphasis on the whole truth. You know why they want the whole truth? Because a half truth is a lie. There it is. So what they told you is a half truth. Yes, it does involve religion. It does involve their customs, and yes, there are similarities. But let me tell you something. Halakha, Jewish law, says that Jews don't eat bacon, but it doesn't tell the goy not to eat bacon. Uh, and what happens in Islam under Sharia, nobody eats bacon. Everybody has to dance to the tune of the Sharia. That's the only reason I care about it. Look, I, dis- I d- define the term political Islam as to, deal the- to talk about the part of Islam that deals with the kafir, the non-Muslim. That's all I care about. And I don't care about the way the Sharia includes me in its list of do's and don'ts. Get off my back. Mm. Okay. Well said. Uh, I want to continue just one more thing with this because I I, I found a lot of interesting. Uh, this NPR uh, article is, is just re- really interesting. Um, in the context of the anti-Sharia protests, and, and that's their term, not mine. Um, a few miles away, this author writes, other Atlantans held a counter-protest and food drive. Um, there was a woman by the name of Ozma Aluni, apparently, uh, of the Georgia chapter of the Council on American-Islamic Relations. So I'd like to get your take on them, too. Criticized the anti-Sharia protesters. And this is what this person said, this Muslim said. If they're against Sharia, are you against feeding the poor? Are you against being friendly, showing love? Because essentially that is Sharia. Well, once again, she's telling us half the truth. It does include those things. Mm-hmm. But it also includes a doctrine called Awalawalbara, which means hating that which Allah hates and loving that which Allah loves. This is a ethical consideration, which is included in the Sharia. And let me ask you a question. Who do you think Allah hates? Ah, the Kafir. Who does Allah love? The Muslim. So she says is partly true. Muslims aren't to love other Muslims. Now then, there are 12 verses in the Quran... Notice how I keep using these numbers. I love it. 
There are 12 verses in the Quran which state that a Muslim is never the friend of a kafir, but they can be friendly to the kafir. Do you know the difference between friendly and a friend? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, one will bail you out at 2 o'clock in the morning, the other will wish you well. By the way, if you ever want to meet some friendly people, go to any used car lot. <laughs> there you go. Good, good analogy. So, so now then, what we've said is, yes, she's partially true. Oh, by the way, you mentioned... You mentioned an earlier organization. You mentioned CARE there, Committee on American Islamic Relations. You mentioned an earlier thing called Southern Poverty Law Center. Yep. You didn't tell them about me. I am proudly one of Southern Poverty Law Center's top ten racist, hater, bigot, Islamophobes. See, I need to ask for a pay raise on these talk show hosts. Wow. I think one of your appearances on our show in the past actually made an honorable mention also. On yeah, actually, we, uh, our show, for having you on, we were... Uh, Given an honorable mention. Yes, we were. Department. Yeah, but, <laughs> but by, I believe it was by Right Wing Watch or... No, the Southern Poverty. So, Southern Poverty? Yep. Okay, yeah. So, hey, we'll... Eat, we'll hey, maybe I should get off the air right now. It may, uh, we, you know what, I think we both should just kind of like crawl on and... Uh, to go to our safe spaces. And when it comes to the Southern Poverty Law Center, I always say you wear that as a badge of honor. There you go. Yeah. But you know, when I was young, they said I'd grow up to be nothing. Now I'm one of the top ten. I tell you, I'm a success. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, made well, it. Okay. <laughs> and this, you know, I believe this is so topical, Dr. Warner, and this is why we wanted to have you on, because in the wake of of these these uh, protests, I really see. Uh, oh, the, the one, one last one, one more thing before we move on, because uh, this is one thing that when I read this, um, I really felt that we were being we're, we're losing the war, the information war. Um, okay, NPR writes this. Despite the concern, of course, I'm not going to read the whole whole thing, but you know, that precedes this. Sharia has no chance of being imposed in the U.S. anytime in the foreseeable future. Um, and this, no area of the U.S. has legally implemented Sharia despite false reports on social media that Dearborn, Michigan enacted it. Now, your response. Well, whoever's writing this doesn't know anything about the Sharia. Sharia is more than a legal system. Sharia is also a civilizational custom system. Let me give you an example of how it's being done right now. I'm involved to give some expert advice to some attorneys who are in a business where they're trying to oppose a mosque in New Jersey, and the Department of Justice jumped in the middle of it with both feet. One of the things is is that part of the terms of the settlement they want to impose is, is that no one involved in this can say anything that a Muslim doesn't want to hear. That is, they are implementing the definition of Sharia slander. Now, in our code of law, slander means I'm talking about you and telling a lie. Slander in Islamic code of law means you're saying something that a Muslim doesn't like. Whether it's true or not, it's simply immaterial. So the Department of Justice is trying to enforce Sharia laws with regards to uh, slander in this law and this uh, legal battle. We also see here in Tennessee that the, what is happening is the textbooks now in the seventh grade, something called human geography, are now confirmed that they're uh, acceptable to Muslims by an imam. So now then we're teaching Sharia version of history here in Tennessee. Mm. 
what these people want to seem like is they they will say, well, we're having trouble when they go into a courtroom and the judge behind the bench has a green robe on. Green is the color of Islam. So um, we Sharia is like a slow process that's coming about, and we're already adopting the fact that Sharia definition of slander and others and other such things. We're seeing it. You know, when you go to a an interfaith gathering here in Nashville, Tennessee, you see the Sharia at work because the Muslims assert their rights to be right and the Christians and the Jews fall over themselves in order not to bother the Muslim with any assertion that he would find unpleasant. Once again, observing the slander laws of Sharia. Willingly. Willingly. Just rolling over. Oh, they roll over. Yeah. Look, 95% of the ministers in this town and 95% of the rabbis in this town are wusses. Spineless, gutless wusses. I, I love that. Hold that, not just the thought, but that emotion, that, that sentiment, because on the other side of the network break here at the top of the hour, more from Dr. Bill Warner, politicalislam.com. You gotta check out his website, his articles, and I'll tell you, just a very, very key man in the fight against Sharia, imposition of Sharia in the United States, and the takeover, cultural, religious takeover in the United States. He's really uh he's a guy that I'm gonna have to go down to Tennessee and buy him uh buy him dinner. I'm gonna tell you I'm or wash his car. <laughs> gonna be right back. Stay, dinner. Stay, okay that that's better. Stay right where we're at folks. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high net worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. 
You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Hey, welcome back folks, to this edition of the Hagman and the Hagman Report. Dr. Bill Warner is our guest. He's not holding anything back. Uh, he's the beloved, um, he's beloved by the Southern Poverty Law Center. You know, he does tell it like it is with respect to, uh, with Islam. And folks, you might look, the, the news is the news. We've got a problem with, uh, we, we have a problem with domestic violence here in this country, of course, the shooting in Virginia. You've got uh, you've got all of the headlines. We're on the verge of, of a civil war. And it's my belief. It's our belief. You've got a number of things taking place. And the, not, the, violent, not, the political violence. The political it's important violence. to make that distinction. I listened to a little bit of Savage today. Yes. And he talked about the last time that uh, representatives were attacked. I believe it was 1954 when the Capitol building was attacked by, it, by the Puritans. Yes. It would, the, the, that's a fascinating story. Mm-hmm. Historical account, by the way. One of the the shooters, a lady, was just released a few years ago from from prison, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, that 1954 was, uh, at least from what he showed, was the last time there was, uh, you know, an, a, an attack that they tried to assassinate congressmen. Yes. yes. But, but but all of this again, as we had talked initially from our the uh, beginning of the program. We are part of this mosaic, and, and a big part of this mosaic, understanding this mosaic, is Dr. Bill Warner in his expertise in explaining to us what is taking place in this country as well as throughout the world with respect to Islam and the imposition of Islam and the willingness of the Catholics, of the Protestants, of the Christians the the wussification and I, I love it right before the break you know we're being wusses and see it, it's my view as a Christian man it's my responsibility to pre- protect my family and if I don't protect my my, my family then I'm worthless yeah you know, I, I I'm 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 worse than an infidel if if I right you know and and it, look I, I am not I will. I won't be the first to draw blood, but I'll tell you something. I will answer. I will answer that appropriately. And, and what what Doctor Warner said about the Christian Church is being involved in bringing the refugees here, even getting paid to do so. We had Josh Tolley on uh, a month or so ago, and he talked about the refugee programs that these churches and Catholic charities are involved with and what was it $2,500 a head they were getting so there, there is um, you know you do have the bleeding hearts out there the bleeding heart Christians and when I say that I don't mean Christians who are who have uh, compassion uh, 
you know, for others and want to help others. I mean, those who, um, who just are, are you know, there, there was a, an interview on Tucker Carlson yesterday, and I guess this is a better way to explain it. And it was about the, the mentality that left. And I don't know who the guest was. It was in the first 20 minutes of a show where they talked about the contrast between the, the, the right and the left and how many who are conservatives are Christians and have, have faith in, in Jesus. And, uh, you know, that is their moral compass. But these people on the left, many of them are atheists and they believe a lot of these social issues like climate change and healthcare uh, are you know, this is their moral compass, and they don't have a religion, so this is their religion to them, this, you know, uh, socialist ideology. And whether it's, it's uh, you know, misguided good intentions... That's pretty twisted, actually. It is, but it made a lot of sense. And, yeah. you know, it, it, I wonder how much of it is the lack of understanding of what Islam really is versus... I mean, how many Christians do you know that that understand what Islam is and what it uh, you know, is attempting to accomplish would continue to do what they're doing and continue, you know, promoting Islam if they had that information. Uh, I don't okay. think many people could be even considered Christians if they had that information and continue to do I, it. I, t- I totally agree with that. And some of the other things in addition to that, I'd like to get Dr. Warner's take on uh, Andre Carson and uh, the other guy in, in Congress, uh, two, two Muslims in Congress. Uh, how can that even be? Get sworn in on the Quran. John, John Brennan, uh, f- former head of the CIA, converted to Islam according to the FBI, uh, one FBI source. Uh, you've got DHS infiltration of Muslims. You've got the, uh, just ripping out all Isl- uh, Islam, um, uh, training quotes and, and such. So all of Are this. those Islamic materials? Yes. So, uh, well, let's uh, come on in, Doctor Warner. Let's continue. Uh, you, you were saying about wusses. I love it. Just go <laughs> continue. Well, this just goes to my philosophy of I blame. I say to the loser, you need to look at your game. You need to understand that you are losing first off, and that you want to be a winner. Then why don't you examine why you're losing and why you're not winning? And uh, and by the way, I don't want to be harsh on everybody. I usually say. But I'm only condemning 95% of the ministers. I don't condemn them all. There are literally a handful. And maybe it's even, but they, they range from 1 in 10 to 1 in 20. And these have become shy people. Now, it's okay to be humble, but that's not to be distinguished, from, that needs to be distinguished from being shy. And these people are, I mean, I just don't understand how they don't care they call themselves people of compassion who want to help the Muslim refugees. I don't have a problem with that. But I do have a problem where you don't help the Christians at all. And I mean, I just don't understand this. I don't understand why. Here's an example. Um, this was told to me by someone who went to a Methodist seminary. There was a woman there who had identified herself as a former Muslim and converted to Christianity. You know, she was asked, well, why would you quit being a Muslim? That's a perfectly good religion. This is at a a Methodist seminary that they're saying, well, why would you want to become a Christian instead of being a Muslim? I mean, it's a little hard for me to understand, but it appears to me that what has happened is is that the scriptures are no longer in use in the churches at all, and instead what they're doing is they're listening to the New York Times and the Wall Street, and the New York Times and NPR. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. 
and uh, you know my statement is what the hell's wrong with you uh to even ask a question like that or to make a statement like that it's it, well, obviously Christians and Muslims we do not worship the same god that's a lie that was oh uh, let me interrupt here go ahead please you know, I talked with a woman at at David Lipscomb who was in a class and she said that they do not worship the same god and the professor said Christians and Muslims worship the same God, and that's as far as this discussion will go. In other words, sit down and shut up. <laughs> okay. This is at a Christian university. By the way, the same Christian university gave a whole seminar on the beauties of Sharia finance. Brought in a woman who is a, a Muslim who works with care to uh, talk about the, the wonderful position that Islam was the first to give women their rights. <laughs> this is at a so-called Christian university. Unbelievable. Well, believable, yes. Well, okay. And we, we have to always mention CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, unindicted co-conspirators, and the Holy Land Foundation trial. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. Um, all right. We've covered a lot of ground, but more to cover. Um, the, again, the, 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 you, you made an important distinction too about the refugees, about Europe, how Europe is being changed, and you said basically that, uh, they're allowing that change or inviting that change, uh, allowing it upon themselves. Here in America, yes. here in America, what are we doing? I mean, we're doing the same thing. Yes. And, and now Donald Trump, his so-called Muslim ban, which I would like it to be that, I believe it would be important for it to be that. What's your take on what's taking place with that? Well, he's pushing against a tide. And uh, I think that I don't want to get off too much into Trump because I learned something of that. I like to deal with political Islam, and which I'm an expert, and I'm not an expert on Trump. I read the same news sources you do. Sure. But he is pushing against a tide that's been in motion now for some time. Okay. And he's going to, and he is having a lot of difficulties, and I'm not sure how many things he can hammer on. Uh, I have learned one thing though from court cases such as this and others. When I was young, I thought that courts dealt in justice, but instead what they deal in is legal decisions. Mm, very good, good distinction, yes. And by the way, why is it that Trump has to do all this work to keep the Muslims out? Do you realize what would happen if there was a mass rally and 500,000 Christians showed up to demand that not another Muslim come into this country until we got in some Christians? But where is that mass demonstration? Where is the pressure that he... Look, what is... We live in a world, by the way, let me, we, we're in a sort of moral inversion. The way society normally is supposed to work is this, is that ministers and religious people are supposed to be the exemplars of a moral position. That is, you should look at the minister and see moral courage and moral, and they're on the right side of issues. Well, are we seeing that? No, we're not. Because what is happening is, is those who should be delivering the moral message, they want politicians to do it for them. So, Traditionally, politicians are considered to be the scum of the earth, something you wipe off your shoe when you leave the house, okay? And instead, what we see is is that we now expect politicians to be the moral leaders. And indeed, in many cases, I've read public statements by congressmen about the persecution of Christians in the Middle East, which I do not find coming out of the churches. Again, we're leading a life, a society in which there's a moral inversion. Those who are supposed to be examples of moral leadership, the churches, Instead, look to the politicians and say, please take care of this because we don't have the guts to do so. Mm. Wimps. <laughs> Amen to that. All right. I mean, whatever happened to righteous anger? 
Whatever happened to moral outrage? Whatever happened to that? You, I think you said earlier, people are afraid um, to a big extent. They, the, the media has done such a, a great job at brainwashing the majority of the American public to accept Islam and to accept this, you know, crazy communist, socialist, uh, anti-American ideology. And I think, you know, those people that wholeheartedly accept it, that's one thing. But then there, we talk about the silent majority out there. I think people are uh, timid and they don't, they're afraid of the backlash of, you know, these other people out there. I think that's a big part of it. I mean, if they could just get past that initial fear, Maybe we could, you know, have something to to work with. But what's it going to take, though, Joe? I mean, and Doctor Warner, what's it going to take? A a crucifix dipped or in a container of urine that doesn't that doesn't affect. You know, there's no more. There's no outrage. Right. There's no cartoon about Muhammad. Christian sex slaves slaves in Islamic State torture deaths. What I mean, if torture deaths and and women being set up as rape slaves. If that doesn't get, because they're Christian, if that doesn't get a Christian's ire up, what will? Amen. I'm serious. What will make anyone morally outraged anymore? They're also busy being well-liked and nice. Everyone wants to be socially well-adjusted. And by that, they mean not criticized. I was lucky. I was raised by a woman who was my grandmother who would tell the truth but hair lip the devil. And I caught her disease, which is telling the truth. Now, by the way, I catch some flack. But look, I find that when I was young, I was thought you judged a man by his friends, but as an old man, I'm telling you, you want to judge a man by his enemies. And you know what's the problem with some of these ministers? They don't have any enemies. Of course not. It's bad for business. And, you know, that's another thing. <laughs> I think there's more talk about mortgages than there is about how to help the world. Yeah. It's sad, isn't it? I mean, it's... Well, I'll tell you what's really sad... Nashville, Tennessee used to be called the buckle on the Bible belt. You don't hear that anymore because everybody realized that if Islam, if Nashville is the buckle on the Bible belt, let me tell you, the church's pants are down around its ankles. <laughs> okay. That's a good one indeed. But well, let me tell you, a yeah. Muslim will never be safer in his idea, in his love of Islam and, than he will be in the city of Nashville, Tennessee. There's a church on every fifth corner, but they're just brick buildings with a white steeple. Speaking of churches, though, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Bill Warners, who we're talking with, and politicalislam.com is his website. Speaking of churches, one thing that we have noticed over the past decade and a half, actually longer, but specifically since, uh, I'm going to say 2000, well, I'll say since 20, uh, since 9-11. I'll, I'll leave it at that. We have seen this takeover of churches. And I've no. I first noticed this in Buffalo, New York. Tom Bowerly, WBEN AM nine thirty, is on this show all the time. We, we, him and I would uh, we would be talking about the different uh, infiltration, lack of one of six and such. But having said that, that got us into a area of research where we found that many churches were being purchased by the. Uh, the uh, Islamic Society of North America or other Muslim organizations. What's your observation on that, uh, Dr. Warner? Well, then the churches aren't needed anymore because people aren't there. And I think that one of the reasons that people are not there is is that the... You know, 
people hunger to do something that it that is good and right, and they also hunger for a little things that's at least I believe this. I'm getting ready to make a point here, which is that people don't necessarily prosper when when everything is smooth as silk. That sometimes a little tough work is necessary. We have four branches of the military. You know, the only branch of the military that always more than meets its enrollment requirements. Mm. U.S. Marines. And what do they tell a young teenager? We do the roughest, toughest, hardest, meanest jobs in the world. And I used to be 18. I'm now 76. But when I was 18, if you told me that, I'd be like, yeah, give me some of that. (laughs) That is to do something difficult, to do great work. And the churches are no longer involved in great work. They're just sort of involved in selling fire insurance. Mm. Good point. Good point. All right. Dr. Warner, take us where, or Joe, were you going to jump in? I was going to say, take us where you want to take us because there's so many directions we can go in. I noticed that you've got, um, you've got some online, uh, learning uh, courses. And of course, all of your, your, your materials are great. But if you want, if you want to mention that and, uh, you, sure. you know, tell us about that and how we should and could, can, uh, enlighten ourselves about, uh, Islam through your investigative research? Well, what has happened is, is I'm a scientist by training, and so what that means is, is I want to understand the theory that underlies any phenomena. And so in my teaching of Islam, what I want to teach people is the voice of Muhammad and the voice of Allah. So all of my books that I sell are not my opinion, but facts that you can find in the original documents. I sell a Quran, for instance, which has the remarkable quality of you can pick it up and read it and understand it. And the reason is, is I took the original Quran and made it, I won't go into the details, but so that you, my goal is to make it easy to understand difficult material. The Life of Muhammad, the series is 800 pages long and fine print and the most difficult academic prose I've ever read. So in my books, I sell two of them. One of them is a 200 page and the other is only 80 pages. But the beauty of my books is anyone can pick up and read them and understand them. My life of Muhammad, for instance, I gave it to a 14-year-old girl and told her, gave her 20 bucks if she'd read it, and she could read and understand the life of Muhammad. That is, this is a person in high school. So my materials are easy to read, and they're the original material that's been transformed into being easy to read. I do not deal in opinions. I deal in facts. And so what I've done is I've structured all this material. My favorite job that I've ever had was a teacher. I couldn't believe that you get paid for talking and getting about something you liked and getting money for it. And so what I'm, my goal is to not impress some people with how smart I am, but instead of how easy I've made the material to understand. So you can, uh, you can learn Islam from me and you always know if you're learning Islam, if it's not the word of Allah or the actions of Muhammad, you're not learning Islam. Everything I do is referenced back to that. So I sell training courses. My books put together in a whole self-study course format and you can get my books in audio format, print format, electronic format and I've left oh, audio books, did I mention that? So anyway, I, I'm a teacher and I teach about the subject of political Islam. Now then, what I would love to do is to be able to give up my job because I couldn't sell any books because the universities and schools were doing the job they're supposed to be doing and then people wouldn't need me at all. So my dream is a society in which my books wouldn't sell because everybody already knows what I'm trying to tell them. It's a shame that, uh, I know we already covered this a little bit, but it's a shame when what you just said that 
the the content of your books uh, basically are, are going to be are, are shadow banned like they do on Twitter from you know institutions of education and it just goes back to this mentality of and I call it it's like a Stockholm syndrome uh, identifying and, and basically falling in love with your enemy that's how mm-hmm. I see this uh, you know the, this love for Islam in in the not so much in the media because I know where the media is coming from. This is part of the globalism, globalist agenda to deconstruct our society and our constitution to to bring America down. But the the people who believe that they're doing the right thing by embracing Islam and censoring the truth—that's such a. I mean, when when this is when this world's all all, all over and done with. And we're all, you know, looking at the at a judgment. I hope these people realize one day what they really done because it's just it, it's insanity. And, and Dr. Warner, really, in in your um, human rights Sharia wrongs, May twenty fifth, hmm. I, I really like that 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 uh, column you wrote. Um, Islam claims to have the supreme ethical system in Sharia, um, and then you, you delineate. How Sharia compares to the UN Declaration of Human Rights in 1948, and inarguably, it, it's inconsistent, of course, with with human rights. It's antithetical to human rights, and and so, so I, Dr. Warner, the um, Linda Sarsour, <laughs> what's her? How is it possible? And and I, I know this is an extension of what we've been talking about, but her popularity among feminist groups. Explain explain that to me, us. Well, the only way I can explain it is in some sort of sickness, because Sharia. Let's go back to if I were in a Sharia protest, I'd say I oppose Sharia wife beating. Look, any doctrine which involves a doctrine including how the code of how to treat women, which includes how to properly beat your wife. I mean, why do I even have to go further with this? And why is it when this Linda lady says these things about that, you know, you'll love Sharia because you won't be paying any interest on loans. That sounds like a better credit card offer, perhaps. But it's simply not true. You don't pay interest, you pay a leasing fee. Who cares what you call it? It's money you have to put out of your pocket to get the business deal. So she can say all these things because the people who listen to her and applaud her don't know Sharia from Shinola. They don't know anything at all about it, so they believe everything that she says. And they don't want to be rude and interrupt her with the truth. Oh, let me brag here for a moment. You were talking about my books. Yes. My book, Sharia Law for Non-Muslims, is Amazon's best seller in Islamic law. Okay. Cool, huh? Sharia, oh, yeah, I love it. Sharia Law for Non-Muslims, right? That's yes. the title. Okay. And uh, it's it's the best seller on on, on Amazon on the in the category of Islamic law. Now I'll admit that's a narrow niche, but hey, I'm the best. You're, you're talking to a best-selling author here. Hmm. Yes, <laughs> we are. And and we and thank you. Seriously, even though that niche might be small relative to other categories, that is not to be taken lightly. No, and congratulations. Uh, well, for, you know, really. Um, it's an honor to, to talk. And, and Sharia law for non-Muslims, extremely important work of Dr. Bill Warner. I would recommend everyone to, to grab a hold of a copy of that. And that, that, that will give you the ammunition 
I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, it'll give you the ammunition to have an intellectual discussion or debate with these morons that are holding up the signs saying, you know, uh, we we love Muslims and uh, Muslim, you know, come on, it's Sharia's okay. Everything's going to be fine under Sharia. I might even have you to cause you to have a debate with your minister. There you go. Or your rabbi or your cousin. Okay. I love it. And that's an interesting point that you just made. People who listen to the show, who attend churches, who interact with their pastors, uh, we should engage with with the pastors and find out where they stand. And if we find out that they, you know, are uh, of the mindset that you know Islam and Christianity worship the same God or ah. anything we talked about tonight, uh, send them to, to politicalislam.com. Give them some material. Um, well, yeah, yeah. Part of this is we Do need you, to reach out as our lack, as you said earlier, we're, we're losing the information more. Well, we need to expand that information more then. And, and at least you've done your part by, by bringing the truth uh, to these people. And um, at least it, it's somewhere to start. We, I, would you, I mean, would you recommend, Dr. Warner, that book? Yes. Okay. Uh, to, to Okay. Anything in addition to that, or would that be sufficient to advance? Actually, what I would recommend is if you would is I sell a collection of four... By the way, I sell two kinds of books, big books and little books. Uh, well, th- there's a story behind this. The book Sharia Law for Non-Muslims, I was lobbying an anti-Sharia bill in the Tennessee legislature, and I was had a senator tell me I don't have time to do any reading. I don't even have time to read the bills put in front of my face. And I said to myself, you just told me that you won't read a big book on Sharia. So I came home, and I called on my printer, and I said, how many pages are in one-eighth of one inch? He said, 54 pages. So I wrote a 54-page book called Sharia Law for Non-Muslims. It's sold by the tens of thousands. And I also sell a a 480-page Quran, which sells by the dozens. So I went, whoa, wait a minute, the clue phone is ringing. People will not read a big book, but they will read a little book. So therefore, my books all appear in a big book form and a little book form. Hey, if if the man wants a red suit, you turn on the red light, right? So Sharia Law for Non-Muslims was my first little book, and it, like I say, it sells by the tens of thousands. Okay, and uh, so we, in fact, we're going to have to order because I know I know several uh, pastors that uh, should get a copy of of that of that book, and uh, so we're going to have to order a, a number of copies. Uh, we're our up guest, against, yeah, our guest is Doctor Bill Warner. PoliticalIslam.com is the website. PoliticalIslam.com is the website. Uh, we're coming up against a, a break in just in, in about one minute. And folks, if you missed the the first few segments with Dr. Warner, uh, I don't know how many people saw this. The the perfect man billboard. We were talking about this, and the reporting that was being done by the uh, local Indiana news, both in print and on uh, on the TV, about interviewing other Muslims, how they were so appalled by what was on this billboard and how it was hate speech and it wasn't true and their misconceptions. But Dr. Warner laid out through the life of, of Muhammad um, how this is very accurate and how these claims are are not uh, misconceptions, how they're not lies. They are facts and tenets of uh, the life of Muhammad. Folks, when we come back, we're going to continue with Dr. Bill Warner in our final segment. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report.
visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Eric. Uh, it's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Trang Post in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to 18 major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We're offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either, but they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Journeys kit at www.changelessandwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. That means you can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. Number one best-selling book on Amazon. Got to tell you, it's it's, it's a small, short book in the Islamic. Yeah, number one in uh, the Islamic. Uh, let me get the let me get the right genre here in uh, Islam, and then subgenre law. So uh, that's something to be very proud of. And uh, Dr. Bill Warner holds a PhD in mathematics and physics, and he's been a university professor, businessman, and applied research physicist. Not your typical, I mean, he knows what he's talking about. I was reading some of the comments of um, some people at a popular 
political forum that's uh, democratic and it's kind of underground. But I won't name the forum. And they were making fun of the people who are afraid of Sharia law. Um, and afraid of, of Muslims holding public office. What do you say, uh, Dr. Warner, about, about Muslims holding public office in America? Well, they're compelled by, if, since they're, and they identify themselves as Muslims and run with that flag they're under that banner, uh, their number one commandment is to spread Islam. And to, actually, that's not quite true, it's to spread Sharia. Muslims don't really care whether we become convert or not as long as we submit to everything that the Sharia demands. So, there's a, the conflict is between the Constitution and Sharia, because they, for instance, there are, uh, laws which prohibit freedom of speech. Here's an example of one. One of the things the Sharia says, if you leave Islam, you should be killed. Now, somehow or another, do I want somebody serving me in office who believes that if he can ever get full power, those who leave Islam should be murdered? You know, I really don't care for killing apostates. So I think there's a big problem with with talking to somebody who who actually would tell me that they will fulfill the Constitution. Don't they take an oath to fulfill the Constitution? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a lie. So if their oath is a lie, after that it just goes downhill real fast as whether I want doing business with me or not. That's a good point. Simple as that. And... You can't. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot. You got that right. And there it is. Um, one of the comments on this particular forum: the Sharia law does not exist. Period. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, but in, in true idiotic fashion, um, this poster goes into uh, this treatise about how uh, Sharia. Is God's law, God's commandments concerning human actions, which are categorized in different ways. And, um, uh, th- this is a key sentence. And, and we don't even have to talk about this, but I just, just to, just to kind of showcase uh, some people how they think, uh, this poster writes, since God in the Quran and the Sunnah, which in parenthetically, Muhammad's deeds, sayings, and way of life, does not often explicitly state which actions belong to which category. It is left to humans to try to figure this out. Again, an abundance, in my view, of, uh, I don't want to say insanity, but uh, lack of knowledge, I suppose, because you figure that much differently. Well, it's interesting to me. It's been, 9-11 was in 2001. I would have thought... I'm a, I'm a natural optimist. I would have thought by now that when you made such remarks in America that people would laugh in your face when you talked about Sharia. Yeah. And yet what we find is is that people don't know, they don't care, and they don't bother. And that it's it's there just seems to be a willful ignorance here that I do not understand. And maybe I do understand it because if I'm right, you see, if they're right, we can all go home and sleep. Right, because everything's going to work out fine. There is no Sharia, or Sharia's neat and cool. Sharia's fine. It's just God's law, and that, you know, God loves us all. So, oddly enough, the Quran is insistent on the fact that God does not love us all. He despises the kafir. But setting that aside, 
is that it's appalling to me that so little is known in this time and that it's also appalling and you'll find people standing up and running their mouth who don't know what they're talking about and don't seem to concern themselves with that. It really concerns me that professionals, journalists, ministers, college professors are not doing their job. And, uh, and I in particular blame church schools for not doing their job. I do not know of any school you can go to in America and learn much about Islam. Actually, here's an interesting thing about to measure the universities. One Sunday morning I gave a talk to in a private home to a group of collected Jews who were conservative in their politics. That is, they were not necessarily conservative in the Jewish sense. When I got through, there was a gentleman there who was a full professor at Vanderbilt University. He sits in a university chair, which means he's, his funds come from somewhere else. It's as high in rank as you go. He said to me, Bill, your talk today is original and provocative and creative, but you would never be allowed to give this talk at Vanderbilt because it would offend the wrong people. Now, carefully, what did he say? He said, what you've said here, I mean, that's high praise. Your work is original, creative, and provocative. I mean, actually, if you think about it, that's about as good as it gets. I would say. And yet you wouldn't be able to give this talk at Vanderbilt University, nor at any other university for that matter. The one time in which I did give a talk at Vanderbilt University, I was not invited by the university, but by a young group uh, who belonged to an organization called uh, Something About Western Civilization. So the schools are supposed to teach the process of how to gain more knowledge, the critical thought. Look, our civilization is based upon two principles, and we're not supporting either one of them. The first principle is the intellectual principle of, of critical thought, scientific thought, that's our moral, our intellectual foundation, and our moral foundation is the golden rule. Do unto others you would have them do unto you. We may be still remembering some of the golden rule when we were supplied, but we do not remember at all that critical thought is the foundation of our education system. And yet the professors don't care. They don't give a rip. Mm. They're just ideological. They give you your ideological injection, and if you can spout it back enough, then you get an A in the course. This mm. is tragic. So our, our universities are corrupt, our churches are corrupt, and when I say churches, by the way, let me throw in and just say I'll include the synagogues as well. I don't want to give anybody any slack time here. And yet we're all just sort of like going along our way. Hmm. Yeah. I keep coming, you notice I keep coming back to the theme of we're losing because we're playing a losing, we think like losers, we act like losers, we talk like losers, we plan like losers. You know what happens if you do all those things? We have a loser's mentality. You know when all that lines up? The Muslims want to win and we want to tie. Now if you have two teams going out on the field, one wants to win and the other wants to tie, which one are you going to bet on? You don't even need to bet, you know who's going to win. Exactly. In kind of, in Closing, I, I, in preparation for, um, our conversation tonight, I was looking at, uh, some news and there was a, there was an article that appeared in the Kingston, uh, Ontario, uh, newspaper, or the Kingston Whig Standard, or an article written by Aaliyah, uh, Hogben. I believe that's how you pronounce her last name. The title of it is Sharia and Jurisprudence not the same and the the feature picture is a woman obviously an Arab woman a Muslim woman that is holding a sign unite and fight against racism right away I thought that sign 
um, not really depicting the true R- racism has really nothing to do with what we're speaking about. Race. This is not a race issue, right? Nothing to do. And, and it's a it's a it's a difference of ideology, and and right. it, for Christians, it's a different a difference of faith. But this was a sign held uh, last weekend in New York City. So, Dr. Warner, I mean, you're obviously in disagreement with that sign, right? Well, I'll go back to that. I'm not sure what race has to do with Islam. Islam proudly proclaims it has nothing to do with race. I think they want to deal with the race thing because that makes Whitey feel guilty because of he all used to own white, used to own black slaves, and he's only recently released them, or some such thing as that. I do know that race, I think they use the term racist, and I've stated this in public, is the dirtiest word they can use in polite company. That if we were in, if we were an impolite company, there's other words we can use which are even fouler. And it has nothing to do at all with race. It's just it's the dirtiest word they know how to call you. And they expect most people to call them racist to buckle and, and just give up, say, okay, I quit. You call me a racist. I, 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 whatever you want to do, we can do. Please, I'm not guilty. I'm innocent. I don't want to be part of the racist crowd. I'm not a KKK member. Really, I'm not. Mm-hmm. So it's a straw man. Okay, which uh, which we've we've addressed before, and and we understand that. Okay, but this is the problem with the narrative um, th- th- that's being rolled out. Now, I'm not sure if you mentioned this or not. The author of this particular article makes reference to the word. Is it fik? F i q h? Yes, fik. Okay. Which she states um, is is jurisprudence. Is that I'm not sure what what the definition of fiq is. It's this. It's the judgments of applying. It's the results of applying Sharia law. Okay. They want to say the term Sharia law is really a misnomer and I sell a book called Sharia law for non-Muslims and the reason I do that is is I want people to open the book and I want them to have a little understanding and one of the first things I do is to establish that Sharia is an entire body of knowledge that includes customs, habits, how to pray, theology, but it also includes law. So legal decision, jurisprudence is the philosophy behind legal decisions and yes it does contain all those things but all she wants to do is muddy the water with words that you don't know, and so you'll be intimidated and think, well, Sharia must be good for some reason. Uh, okay. What I say is, why don't you go study some Sharia? And by the way, the book that I base my little 60-page book on Sharia law about, I'm looking at, at the source it came from, which is Reliance of the Traveler, which is a 1,300-page book in fine print. So what I've done is, is I only write on Islam from the standpoint of the unbeliever, I don't give a rip about their salvation message. I'm not afraid of their hell, nor do I find the... Well, I guess when I was younger in particular, I'd find the uh, heaven uh, more attractive, but it's sort of Hugh Hafner, sort of Hugh Hafner in, in Arab robes. Dr. Warner, as you and I get older, it, it, hold, it holds less of a attraction, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Well, the point is, is that the Sharia has been made easy to understand and get out there and understand it. Look, don't trust any Muslim about anything you say about Muhammad. There's only two people you can trust. That's Allah and Muhammad. Don't trust a Muslim. Trust Muhammad. Don't trust a Muslim. Trust Allah. There you go. So what I'm preaching here is a form of heresy, but what I'm saying is get back to the basics. These basics used to be very hard to understand, but now they've been made easy to understand. Don't listen to Muslims. Only listen to Muhammad. 
that's right. And you're you're teaching, you're speaking from his own words and and Islam's own uh, um, material. So it's not like you don't need to make it up. That's right. It's bad enough as it is. In closing, the uh, the author of this particular piece that just that was just published today, and because you like them, you like numbers. I'm gonna I'm gonna read read this sentence to you here, and you can have fun with this. Um, and comment on this. Now she writes this: of the six thousand or so verses in the Quran, about eighty verses deal with legal matters, and it is reasonable to look into how these have created created an entire legal system. As a scholar notes, the Quran is not legal, or is not a legal or constitutional document, as less than three percent of the text deals with legal matters. Now have at that because knowing what you said the last uh since you you know come on uh i know your answer but uh go ahead and drive that home much more of it deals with uh sharia than that for one thing let me give you an example there's page after page on how to pray which is only briefly mentioned in the quran so she can call that legal it is a sharia matter whether it's a legal matter or not i don't know how she determines whether, for instance, in the Sharia we have how a will is to be made out, how a will is to be executed. We have uh, how children are to be raised. So the Sharia contains an awful lot of things. So far as the actual legal content, I will point out one interesting thing. Muhammad was a businessman. That's how he made his money. It's interesting that the longest verse in the Quran is, is about contract law. So I, my impression is that I've never tried to use the hard definition of what is purely legal. Instead, I just use the, the understanding of what goes into the Sharia. But I get a feeling it's more than 3%. Let's deal with jihad, for instance. I mean, jihad is not considered to be a legal principle, and yet the Quran is very clear about jihad. The Sunnah is very clear about jihad. And the Sharia is very clear about jihad and defines jihad as subjugating the Muslim, as subjugating the Kafir. So now, is that a, legal thing or is it just something to be feared I'm I don't care whether she calls it legal or not I don't like jihad amen to that very well done dr. Bill Warner you've taken us really taken us right to the uh, to the brink of our of the end of our program here uh, one more time your book of course one of your books Sharia law for non-muslims we get that at Amazon right or you can get it from my website. Okay. Buy it either place. I like it better if you buy it from me because I make more money. I love that, too. That's right. Uh, okay, and your website is politicalislam.com. Dot com. All right. Now, how do you... And like I say... Go ahead. If, if, if uh, somebody wants you to autograph the book, can, can that be done through your website? You know, if you put it... You know, I've never done that. Uh-huh. I'm not very clever in running my business. I just stated that I enjoy selling books, but I never... You know, I've been told by my daughter, Dad, if you'll sell signed copies, you can sell them for more money. Sure. So yeah. anyway, then, no, then, none of them are signed. I'm going I'm uh, to buy a I bunch just, of, uh, Dr. Warner, I'm going to buy 10 and sell them on eBay for a premium. because you There know. you go. You'd have one of the few signed copies. <laughs> <laughs> now, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. But anyway, I sell all kinds of books, but they all deal with the law and Muhammad. They all deal with Islam. And they are all, let me emphasize this again, easy to read. Now, I've been told they're not as easy to read as I say. For instance, my book on Sharia law, a guy said, theoretically, you could read this book in an hour's time, but what happens is you read one page and you go, whoa. 
Mm-hmm. He says, you put the book down, you start thinking about that. Like, oh my goodness gracious, do you realize the consequences of this? So it's been said that it is a small book, but it takes the time to read because it has so much to digest. Studying Islam is like reading science fiction about a world that had, where everything has two meanings and everything is upside down. But mm-hmm. I find it fascinating. Wow. And I love it because once you have some of these facts at your disposal, you can easily persuade anybody in a debate because you'll keep saying, what you said, can you give any reference for it? Because everything I say, I can reference to Allah and Muhammad. Hmm. Okay. So well-sourced, bottom line. Yes. That's all I was. One, one guy said, Bill, your books are really just one vast succession of well-written footnotes. <laughs> wow, that, that, that's kind of a, that's an interesting compliment. Well, it is. Because in many, like in my life of Muhammad, as an example, every paragraph has a little index number, like a verse number, so that you can go back to the original source material. If I say that, if you read in my book, Muhammad and the Unbelievers, and it says, and Muhammad commanded, kill every Jew you can lay your hands on, you go, oh, that can't be true. Well, there's a little index number that starts the paragraph. You can go to the source text, the Sirah, and that's, you'll find that he did say that mm. in slightly more flowery language. Very well, very well done. You know, I'm going to have to uh, get your larger books uh, for for reference, but uh, indeed more of your uh, your other Sharia Sharia law from non-Muslims. More of those copies and give them out as gifts. Father's Day is coming, folks. You know, good. good uh, hey, educate your dad, educate that man, and uh, or educate the pastor. Dr. Bill Warner, thank you so much for joining us. Very topical, very on-target information. My goodness. Thank uh, you. I mean, as you can tell, I enjoy myself more than anybody else when I talk about Islam. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, for, for the reasons, you know, yeah, to to educate others. Because I'll tell you something. Uh, um, you know your stuff, and uh, I'd like to. Yeah, I'd love to see you in the debate, head to yeah. head, head to head with uh, what's his face, uh, Ibra, uh, what's the guy from Care. Have you, uh, have you debated Hooper. him? Yeah, have you have you debated him at all? No, I've not. I tell you, I'd rather debate. I'd rather debate your minister. Oh, there you <laughs> go. Okay. I'd all rather right. debate an apologist rather than a Muslim. Everybody wants to see me lock horns with the Muslims. I say I don't really concern myself much with Muslims. I'd rather lock horns with a kafir who believes the crap that Islam puts out. Him, I'd love to debate. The guy who's the columnist for the newspaper who writes these apologist articles. But anyway, that's just my fantasy. Well, I'll tell you what, when we, when we get, uh, our uh, pages of, uh, responsive emails to this broadcast, which I'm sure we will, we'll send a few over to you. You so. can debate them. <laughs> my brother. Thanks a lot. I've enjoyed myself. Hey, th- thank you. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm serious, man. I'm going to come down and we're, I'm going to take you out to dinner. I really am. Good. All right, brother. Thank Bye-bye. you, doctor. All right, folks. Uh, that was Dr. Bill Warner. Uh, my goodness, uh, politicalislam.com. And seriously, the the book he has written, and I do have a copy, Sharia Law for Non-Muslims. I think that's, what, now five years old, maybe six years old. Uh, I do have a copy of that, extremely well written. But I want to get one of the, hint, hint. Give me a yeah, big autograph one. No, the bigger one. Oh, okay, because okay, I really want to get get into the. Uh, we got a birthday next year, right? <laughs> Well, you know, Sunday's Father's Day. I know, I know. I'm messing around. Um, Folks, just real quick. Yeah, uh, go ahead. If you missed the first hour of the show, at least the second segment of the first hour, we had Andrew Kerr on. 
Now, Andrew Kerr has done uh, a great job of investigating some potential fraud-like activity within uh, David Brock's political super PAC organizations. Yes. Go to the citizensaudit.com and click on the article that's from June 1st. I believe it's right at the top of the website, and it uh, starts with the word announcement. And there it gives a detailed description of what he's trying to do. He's assembled a team, uh, including Scott Gessler, the former Secretary of State of Colorado, a forensic accountant named Christina Cook, and others to pursue a case uh, and file a complaint with the FEC, the Federal Elections Commission, against Media Matters. Uh, they're running uh, these super PACs, these political organizations, and money's funneling from one to the other illegally uh, when you have non-political money going into political organizations and, and vice versa. Uh, and all the people that he has surrounded himself with agree that this is actionable information and could go far. He's trying to raise money, so there is a donate button there. If you can donate, please do. If you can't donate, uh, spread that far and wide, that page. Exactly. Spread it on social media, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, However, it can be uh, disseminated to other people. Make sure you do that. Also, if you go on that article, there is a pledge you can sign, and that pledge is going to be used to uh, update people and show the level of support that is behind this endeavor. So make sure you do that. And also, on HagmanReport.com, there's a number of articles, original uh, content articles from Liz Crokin, uh, Peter Choka, and also uh, Sergeant Tim. The two that Liz Crokin has up are uh, the Virginia shooting is tied to sex trafficking and Seth Rich evidence disappearing. Both of those are on the front page of HagmanReport.com. So make sure you go there and spread those articles as well. Do, do, do me a favor as well. Go to, go to American Thinker and look up Peter Chowka's, uh article, The Murdoch uh, Boys. Um, you, you can just search. You can search his name as an author, C-H-O-W-K-A, and make a comment on that and post that on social media, that particular or the, or column that he wrote. It, it's a 4,000-word uh, uh, column. I think that was what really kind of ties up the, his three previous articles, but it, I've got a reason for doing it because it contains a quote of mine, and I really think that, that the word has to get out there of what is taking place to, to the media, the conservative yeah. media. Um, uh, Scott Greer from the Daily Caller. Hey, were you finished? No, two, two more things real quick. I just want to mention this, it, and then uh, you can have it all. Uh, you're going to be seeing over the next 72 hours an amazing number of uh, pieces of information that's going to be published by the Washington Post. One already is leaks coming from within the Mueller camp, and this is designed to take down Donald Trump. And the last thing is on the racial division or the uh, ideological divide, uh, several shots were fired at a truck flying, making yeah. America great again, flag yep, on I-465 out of uh, Indianapolis. I believe there's a, black, a couple of black 20 yeah. in their 20s, black kids in their 20s, yeah. fired at a truck with the but, magma sign. Yeah, but but the, the, this, okay, so you've got the leaks, you've got the the uh, the hatred and the actual uh, civil war in progress, as, as uh, Dr. Michael Savage talks about, and then you've got the political threats taking place. So go ahead and finish it out. Well, uh, I just wanted to make sure. I, I was going to post this tonight, but I'm going to leave the, the website alone for the next 10, hour, 10 to 12 hours or so. Um, this from the Daily Caller. 
media to America. Don't politicize an obvious act of political violence. Scott Greer has been a guest on our show yes. uh, a number of times, and he's written a, a, an awesome, uh, pretty big article on the Daily Caller. Again, the title is Media to America. Don't politicize an obvious act of political violence. And he points out in the very beginning of the article, he says, in the span of a few weeks, two crazy Bernie supporters have committed acts of violence against innocent Americans. He cites the first one. In May, Jeremy Christian stabbed and killed two men after berating two Muslim women in on Portland, Oregon train. Uh, and then he, he cites yesterday's shooting of James Hodgkinson uh, opening fire on congressional Republicans. He says, the big difference between the two events is that only one was seized upon as a disturbing example of the rising political violence in the nation. The incident the media was able to pin on the right. Christensen's stabbing was depicted as a deliberate act of white supremacist terror, uh, even though yeah. he was uh, a supporter for many left-wing causes and had a desire to murder all Trump supporters and Jeff Sessions and the fact that his victims were all white. Anyway, that, even though he was a leftist guy, they tried to blame that as uh, right-wing political violence. Even President Trump was blamed for the violence and was often um, uh, put down for talking, taking too long to condemn it. Uh, and they go on to say, meanwhile, these same folks in the media and uh, politics are now strongly urging all Americans not to pol- politicize a leftist trying to assassinate Republican politicians. Suddenly the people who whip up outrage anytime a story pops out that fits their narrative transform themselves into simply wanting social harmony and decency after an attack, a response we usually only see after Islamic terror. And then it, it goes to, to uh, go through a number of, of instances where the left-wing media pushed a story that Trump somehow um, you know, was responsible or is responsible for violence or, or hate crimes, um, even though a lot of these hate crimes turn out to be fake, and how this, you know, when there actually is political violence carried out by the left, like we've seen so much in the last uh, six months, that especially this shooting that involved congressmen, Scott Greer is pointing out the the media how they're so hypocritical, and you know we've we've seen this before. There there's been a number of times in our country where political violence has happened from the Revolutionary War to the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement to uh, you know the protesting of the Vietnam War to I mean, there there have been instances in the past where political violence has happened, but it's different this time, and it, and I agree that it is different this time. That we are with we're dealing with a whole different set of circumstances, a whole different mindset of the people, and not only that, the media is on the side, the mainstream media and the the deep state and deep the state. people at the top. These are the people who are pushing for this violence and that is different than any other time in history but uh, i'm i'm gonna tell you right now i will fight back of course i i want to end this on a happy or not a happy note but kind of a humorous note don't be like lawrence john ripple 71 years old from kansas city kansas he couldn't spend another day with his wife he walked into a bank in kansas city handed the teller a note saying i've I've got a gun give me money sat down waited to be arrested this happens like every year okay because yeah he he did he 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 said, I, I, I can't spend another moment. I want to go to jail. Uh, I want to be in jail rather than being at home. Anyway, long story short, he was uh, uh, sentenced by, by the judge who sentenced him to, guess what? House arrest? House arrest. Perfect. There you go. So that should put a smile on your face. Uh, there you go, uh, Lawrence and John Ripple. That's what you get. But, uh, folks, very serious. 
expect a lot of news out of D.C. inside the Beltway. More leaks damaging to Donald Trump, and it's uh, it's horrible. Killing the presidency is what's taking place, and the republic. We will see you back here tomorrow. Have a great evening. 